Hello, my name is Nicholas Coy Santillo. Welcome back to the Annex Podcast. Um, just a little um, house cleaning, I think they call it. Uh, midway through, I offer up my email address you can get me at. Uh, the correction there is it's coy at act6.ca. That's K-O-Y at act, V-I, act6.ca. Enjoy the episode. Um, all right, welcome back, Zach Tucker Abramson. Uh, this is... This is our weekly check-in. This is our, um, let's just have a great time, Annex Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Um, we are, we're going to be very topical today, I think. We're going to, we're not, it's not going to be one of those podcasts where you can listen in years later and it's going to be <laughs> kind of untouched by time. This is very mm-hmm. much like a, a um, time capsule, as it were. I think. We'll see. I mean, who knows if this? If I think I know what you're getting to. If it stops this movement, it's going to be very relevant. Um, and as usual, you know, we like to focus on politics. We like to focus on sports. Uh, so um, let's just touch. Let's just jump off with a classic um, Toronto sports check-in. I think it's a great. Uh, we can even expand to Canada because there's some interesting stuff going on Ooh. with uh, with that. So. Uh, Raptors. Raptors were, were a couple days away, just under a week away from the trade deadline. We yeah. still have this guy who, um, who, if you follow the Raptors, you might have heard of, or maybe not because he hasn't played a single game. Uh, well, maybe he's played a couple games. He's played a few games. Uh, Goran Dragic, um, supposedly a good player, also openly said he doesn't want to be a part of our team. And uh, I find that kind of ironic. He's like, I want to be a part of a championship team. And yet... Um, if he was a championship level player, you know, he could make our team better, maybe even in the top half of the league. Let's start with that point. Do you think now that we've just won, uh, against Miami two in a row, we just went against Chicago last night in an overtime victory. Um, if we had Goran Dragic, do you think we could be in the top four in the East? Top four in the East. (laughs) Considering we're only like five games behind the number one. Maybe, maybe. I, I mean, I think we easily have a top four starting lineup. I just think, right. um, you know, other teams kind of load manage. Mm-hmm. We really can't do that. Our starters have to play 35 minutes a game for us to win. But if Goran Dragic was on like a, if we just looked up his basketball reference stats, if he's on another team, um, and we were to say like, what if we had this Goran Dragic uh, what if we had this Goran Dragic like level point guard as a backup? You know, would that kind of like help our help relieve Freddie some minutes? Like, oh, a hundred percent. So, I mean, do you not find it kind of ironic that like he's he's kind of not playing? Just, I mean, well, there could be something serious. We don't know. Uh, the team has been very respectful in terms of his privacy, but. I don't, did he say, I mean, yeah, I think it would put us easily more in the mix. We have no backup point guard. I mean, like, mm-hmm. our backup rotation is no point guard, and we just kind of <laughs> play positionless, which is yeah. like, goes with the new NBA. But mm-hmm. is it, did he say it's because he wants to be a part of a championship team, or did he just say, I don't want to play for the Raptors and didn't really expand? I don't remember beyond. So I haven't that. read, and uh, you know, I'm not an NBA reporter, but I, I, I am a consumer of media. Um, yeah. There's been discussions that he's like wanted to be a part of a championship level team, 
I don't know if he's necessarily, like, I think the inference is that he doesn't think we are. There was also that uh, quote that he said at the beginning of the season for, like, a European um, publication where he was kind of talking about not wanting to be playing for the Raptors. And then the Toronto Raptors international fan base kind of reminded him that we read non-English publications. And I think that was a big embarrassment for him. Yeah. Um, Because it's like, oh, it turns out that, like, we actually pay attention to what you're saying. Yeah, in your hometown. It's like Alonso 2.0. Very much so, yeah. Uh, you know, he's, he's, you know, would I trade him for Ben Simmons right now? I'm not sure. <laughs> he's played more minutes than Ben Simmons this season, so, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, we're doing well. We're like, we're, I think we're proving that, like, our starting lineup is very good. Well, yeah, this week, you know, we just beat the top two teams in the East three games in a row. Mm-hmm. Um so I say, I genuinely think our starting five could compete with anyone. I just worry, like, when will we burn out with these minutes? I mean, yeah. in the last, I can't remember the exact stat, in the last X number of weeks, mm-hmm. Siakam o- and OG and Fred Van Fleet were literally in the top five in minutes. So that's free Raptors yeah. in all of NBA. To be fair, I don't think in that time period, that. we had a triple overtime game that they played. No, no, this was well before that stat. Oh, but that was just in the last week or two. No, no, I read the stat like a week or two before that. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then that's like three <laughs> weeks ago now or something. Yeah. Okay. Okay, because they did have that triple overtime game yeah. where everyone racked up. That would have raised their average even, quite a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely a concern. I think they're all young enough that like it's not like Carmelo Anthony last night <laughs> pulling a hammy or whatever. Um, but it is a concern for sure. Anyways, you trusted Masai. I'm excited. I, I think the Raptors are only looking up. You know, yeah. I, I'm not too worried about that. And the reports are we're going to be buyers. I'm hoping the buyers aren't changing our starting five. I hope it's just some solid depth work. You know, trade yeah. Gorin for a, a depth piece. Anything at this point. You know, maybe trade a draft pick for another depth piece. Just like mm-hmm. be able to run an eight nine man rotation. Be able to load manage and uh, get ourselves into. A, sixth place would be great mm-hmm. but definitely home court for the playing game so we only have to win one out of two yeah that'd be really nice yeah yeah if we can't get just secured into like the fifth or six yeah yeah i mean the the first is just so tight from one to six i think is a five game spread so you know if anyone goes down if any team has like a little bit of a losing streak we're right there yeah which is kind of exciting um Moving on from the Raptors, which we all love and adore, uh, I have no idea what's going on with um, the team that is our national, uh, you know, plays our national sport, uh, the Toronto Rock lacrosse team. <laughs> Me um, neither. But we're just going to skip over that to hockey because that's much more exciting. I also don't follow hockey, but how are the Leafs doing right Leafs now? Leafs are on a tear, but you know, nothing means anything <laughs> until the playoffs. I mean, they were on, last year they were, I don't know, maybe slightly worse record. But they're uh, one of the top teams in hockey that are, you know, on a big winning streak. But, you know, they uh, haven't made it past the first round in many, many years. Right. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember the exact stat, but it's pretty astonishing. So, you know, I expected them to be a top team in the regular season. And uh, we'll see in the playoffs. I wouldn't hold my breath. But Mm -hmm. that's always the big question. Not as young as they used to be. We still have Matthews, right? Our our starting core is the same. The Leafs mm-hmm. GM really believes this core can do it. 
Mm-hmm. They can do it in a regular season. They have for the mm-hmm. last three or four years. So they're like the Raptors were before the Kawhi trade. Like yeah. we're kind of doing really well, like better every season, but just not getting over that playoff hump. Yeah. So exactly. maybe we need to make a Kawhi level trade. Yeah, we have a bunch of like DeMar DeRozan's crush it in the regular <laughs> season and choke in the playoffs. <laughs> um, because it gets a lot more physical. Mm-hmm. Like Mitch Marner's a small guy, you know, when things get physical and they're smaller and undersized, it becomes a bit it's tougher. Word. Ooh, right. Well, you know, good luck, Leafs. Um, but, um, they'll still be sold out every game that they possibly can. Um, there's probably 500 fans in the stands right now because of uh, <laughs> thank you, our premiere. Um, but the most exciting thing in sports, maybe we're going to mm-hmm. get to it. Is, yeah, that's our next topic. It's great transition. Yeah, it's the men's soccer team. It is. We've played 11 games. We're in first place. I don't think... I think we're undefeated right now. Yeah, undefeated. Yeah. We have some ties. Okay. Um, but Still is not a loss. Not a loss. Yeah. And I don't think in my lifetime I would have ever said we are going to be for 11 games where every team is putting out their best squad ahead of Mexico and U.S. I mean, talked about as World Cup contenders it's internationally. FIFA is like putting us as a marketing team, like we're being internationally marketed. One of our players may get a record transfer. I did hear that the the U.S. is not fielding a few of their top players right now. So not every game they do because there's yeah. a lot of games. So like right. same with Canada. Alfonso Davies, our best or second best player, just missed the last three games and we won all three. Related to Sean Davies? Yeah, related. Okay, to nice. But yeah. you know what I'm interested in during the World Cup? Will Toronto be voting? Like if you go lock down Italy, let's say. I like your use of voting. <laughs> voting. We're going to. Yeah, like, so being like, like fans. Know, it's a democratic society. No right. So we, we vote for the victors. We vote. Okay. We vote. Respect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So it's so going to be like it's a parliament. If it's a parliament, mm, interesting. Yeah, <laughs> would Sports it be in government. Italy? You have to vote for Italy or Canada. Your MPs are Italian or Canada, just for the roll yeah. cop. Would you get yeah. more Canadians or Italians? I just can't get over this use of voting. <laughs> no, no, I'm totally um, joking. Yeah, but like, yeah, will we but... see more Italian jerseys or Canadians if you walk down to Little Italy? I mean, I think the beauty is that when the Italians hit the crossbar and lose in the kickouts, then a lot of those fans will transition back to Canada. Yeah. You know, as the Italians are wont to do, you know. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I have Italian uh, heritage and I'm a big fan of Italy, but uh, those boys just can't quite... They're always just right there. They, they can't quite They won the, the Euro edge. Cup this year, though. Yeah, well, in that case, they might be they might be looking to make a push in the World Cup. Yeah, yeah, they haven't lost in a long time, but I am okay. just very curious what Tor- who Toronto is going to root for. I guess so. I mean, the thing about Toronto though is like when Greece wins, there's like a huge like people are going crazy on the streets. Yeah. Like when Portugal wins, people go crazy. Like it doesn't really matter because we're such an inter. I mean, specifically Toronto. Yeah, just Toronto. It's a very international city. I don't think like. Milton, Ontario is going to be rooting for anyone but Canada. But yeah, do you think there'll be a lot of <laughs> Italian fans out in uh, Orangeville? No, no, no. But like, <laughs> Maybe, yeah, I don't know. yeah, Just, yes. I mean, Saint Clair will obviously be an, an Italian over Canada. Uh, That's yeah. what I'm wondering. Yeah, um, yeah. but also. I mean, you know, if the Freedom Convoy can't end <laughs> this lockdown, maybe the World Cup will. 
You know, maybe no. people will just be out in the streets celebrating Canadian oh, victories. We saw during Euro Cup. I mean, the no scenes in Levine or Vaughn were yeah. like in Vaughn, Ontario, Massive and college were like, yeah. no one gave two two bucks. Yeah, and you know, I support a lockdowns, but <laughs> I don't know. That's better than other ways to use your energy. <laughs> we all have seen riots and you know you go to montreal canadian game playoff games we don't want that type of energy if you lock people down so oh, one of my favorites is <laughs> when i was living in montreal for a few years and just seeing like the what i think it was this was years ago and i don't follow hockey so i'm not gonna be able to tell you what what series it was but i think it was a game seven victory in round one of the playoffs and there was so much celebration in the streets that they flipped a cop car. They ride every series, win or lose, every round. It was just, yeah, I just love it. Like, oh, it's like, round one, we won. Like, let's burn the city. <laughs> it was just great, you know. So, you know, respect to Montreal fans. Toronto fans definitely don't have that much uh, fire in their belly when it comes yeah. to victories. But Hopefully well, the Canadian uh, soccer men's, like, World Cup yeah, we'll see them. I mean, they're, I think, a point away from clinching that free game. So first time since 1985. Wow. So hopefully they just don't lose every single game and just like... <laughs> and a, a bunch of teams would have to win face. every game. So Okay, so we're almost mathematically... Like, it's yeah. just mathematically we haven't clinched it, but like practically we're kind of yeah. there. Okay. Well, you know, my um, hat's off to the to the soccer players and looking forward to the World Cup in Qatar, right? Yeah, it's or in a, Qatar. Yeah, speaking of corruption, I mean, that team doesn't really have a soccer nation. They had to import state. They didn't have any facilities. Mm-hmm. No they one. also had to cancel or they had to postpone the World Cup yeah. because it's too hot. Yeah, yeah, they're playing it in winter because they can't do it in summer. Many workers died. Mm-hmm. I mean... Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to bring uh, you this World Cup. To yeah. bring you this World Cup. I mean, the fact they got it. I mean, <laughs> So in many ways, you know, if you don't celebrate, you're dishonoring the deaths <laughs> of the workers. Exactly. So, and actually, let's, let, let's just like keep transitioning flawlessly. Speaking of honoring the deaths of workers, um, the Olympics, the Winter Olympics 2022 uh, in China. Yeah. Uh, what do we, you know, another I, corrupt organization, <laughs> how China gets it. They China claim they're not it. political, though. In 2008, they had, they hosted the Summer Games. Uh, as of 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, they had the opening ceremonies today, yep. I believe, um, which I don't think either of us watched. No. Although I heard the 2008 opening ceremonies for the Summer Games was something to behold. It was one of the most insane openings that I've Yeah. Had. To be fair, for me, it wasn't political. I just, I don't think I've ever watched an opening or closing ceremony. So I watched them in Vancouver, and they were stunningly sad. Actually, <laughs> I was quite God. embarrassed as a Canadian. It was just like a lot of like Mountie floats and like beaver floats, and just like <laughs> really like stereotypical silly Canadianisms. Um, and you know, you know the way the Canadian like what is Canadian culture? It's this kind of like postcard colonial stereotypes uh and we had a few indigenous leaders sitting in like a position of honor quote unquote in the stands and doing drum circle like very yeah something like not really much involvement (laughs) and it was like a lot of because like some of the ski routes were like on indigenous land or something it was 
you know, Canada really needs to up its cultural game of like who we are and acknowledging that uh, beyond that surface level of just like being polite, we don't have <laughs> much of an identity beyond stripping our land for resources. Um, but that's another topic for another day. Um, let's focus on hating on China. Um, yeah, I think Canada has said that we were going to politically... What was Trudeau said? Is something it's really a diplomatic stupid. boycott, which right. many countries are doing. But there's all right, Senate. so we're still sending all of our um, athletes. I think we have the second largest contingent of athletes in the games. Though so I think that positions have been more complicated because you have to remember these athletes. Ninety nine percent of them, maybe even more, don't really make a living off of it. They don't get an audience. Um, yeah. like it's their only time where they're in front of like millions of people and winning could t- change their career trajectory and get them sponsorships. Mm-hmm. You know, if this mm-hmm. was like NHL players making millions, I think that just becomes a propaganda machine. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it makes it complicated stripping athletes who often have to work two or three to jobs just to support it of their one chance every four years to like be mm-hmm. on a national showcase that could dramatically change your career so right i guess like if you're a medalist then you have a chance to make some sponsorship money yeah and just like right. you don't get to compete in front of like a million people you know not a million but like thousands of people watching yeah, you yeah. if you're doing like a cross-country race like i couldn't even name you one skier you know that's kind of the thing, though, right? Yeah. Like, you know, like you can make money if you're like in one of the more popular um, competitions. But if you're not, then like, I mean, here's a question. How many NHL players are playing in the um, in the men's hockey? NHL decided not to go, but that was because of quarantine rules. Right. So no, no professional players from Canada or, or the U.S. Or any country. Or no NHL players yeah. are going to be playing in the Olympics. Yeah. So it's going to be like an old school Olympics where it's all amateur players. Yeah, it'll be like almost like a World Junior Championship. The Olympics used to be like that, right? Yeah. Like a few decades ago. Yeah. Pros couldn't play. Same with basketball, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, the diplomatic boycott, it's just obviously all BS. I mean, whether we should send athletes is like, I think, a complicated question because we're looking at the lives of like mostly not necessarily poor from sport if you know what i mean like well, definitely. I'm not... i mean a lot of these people are working working the same amount of hours as anyone else like working 30 40 hours on one or two jobs and having to live their lives and then they have expenses that a lot of us don't have like they have the expenses of all of their gear and equipment and training and they have to pay their coaches uh, a lot of these people aren't sponsored so that's coming out of their own pocket and they're also putting in like the amount of time athletes have to train, which is like 20 hours a week or more of having right. to just put in training, as you're saying, and then trying to peak in that four-year window. But like broadcasting, for example, opening ceremonies like that, that's just like a propaganda event. Like there are things and like, yeah, the diplomatic boycott doesn't achieve a political purpose. Yeah. It's I mean, the fact points. that we even, I guess, who's in charge of the Olympic committee the ioc it is the ioc and if it really is a big deal for all these countries to have it in china then why did the ioc choose china oh i mean it's like fifa it's a very corrupt organization <laughs> china paid them is what yeah. you're saying basically uh, what it means oh yeah i mean 
there's so much skullduggery. I mean, that's the political <laughs> problem. I'm trying to gotros and yeah. got. I mean, yeah, maybe like the 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 political move would be like, okay, we're not not no longer having IOC membership. Mm. That would be a much more powerful move. And if every country did that, like, send a much more stronger statement than yeah. a diplomatic boycott. Or maybe form. I guess like there's like there's also the um, I don't know if there's a winter version of like the Commonwealth Games. But if you were to have like like make the humanitarian games where like you can only be a part of the humanitarian games if you don't have like concentration camps and gulags in your country, yeah. which would mean America wouldn't be allowed. So. <laughs> and maybe even Canada, if you consider First Nations. So it actually would be very small uh, games to have like five countries, maybe. But, um, yeah, so the Olympics are happening. I don't think... Uh, the thing is, I used to love the Olympics. Like, I remember as a kid, I would watch them all the time. Oh, I watch them. Like You still do? Oh, yeah, I'll be watching a lot of it. It's just also events that are never on TV that I genuinely like. Like, like curling? Well, no, curling's on TV, but I tend to just watch in the Olympics. Even like skeleton luge, like luge, bobsled, moguls, like all those mm-hmm. crazy acrobatic. What the ski jumps? The big, the snowboarding, the, the ski pipe, jumps. Yeah, yeah, on the aerials, like all that stuff mm-hmm. is almost never on TV, and I find all that Biathlon, very cool. See the skiing <laughs> and riflery. See that mm-hmm. stuff? I'm not into. No, that's no. that's too highly skill based. <laughs> no, Literally, just... that's a pure like it's a it's like I think Finland like kills it every yeah, year. Yeah, Finland's very good. And it's just for like because that's what their military trains in. It's just like how to cross country ski and fire rifles. Like that's what their experts are at. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess if you go back long enough, the Olympic Games really were a stand-in for war, right? So yeah. it makes sense that. We still have these competitions that are effectively war training simulations. Yeah, that's a war training. And Norway crushes the long jump every year. I don't know why Norway. Insane drunkards who just (laughs) go off of the the ski jumps. Yeah. The idea of there was that movie. I don't know if you saw that movie a few years back about a guy who was like training in ski jump. No. A British film. It was whatever. Like I uh, I remember watching it just because I watch most big movies. But um, the idea of like. The, the crazy thing that they really showed in the in the sh- in the movie was like how do you train ski jumping like you can do so much in like a contained environment where you're like practicing your balance and you're practicing your positioning but at a certain point you just have to go to one of those massive jumps and like when you're not very good you start low and as you get better you go higher and higher but and eventually you just have to kind of swallow and like just go for it i know it's like, fucking no insane. real way to train other than just doing it it is, is madness the craziest event you should see how far they're jumping in there i would they're flying they're, they're flying literally flying they're literally flying yeah it's <laughs> and and there's no way to do it other than just like yeah just go down the hill and, and hope just, you don't die yeah just hope that like you land kind of <laughs> and, like if you don't you'll get really hurt and then you know see you next season oh you're lucky next season yeah, if you don't if die, you, yeah madness but then again skeleton luge is similar like i i find a lot of these competitions very weird like like bobsled <laughs> luge skeleton luge like what is that uh what are you i guess like sports to me I, a lot of sports do make no sense they're entirely arbitrary but you know basketball comes from let's do put on our history lesson uh, hat shall we but like you know basketball comes from this canadian you know props to canada who invented a sport that was like we have to practice during the winter we're in a small gym. We can't run at a full-out pace like in soccer. 
So we need to create dribbling to slow us down a little bit. And we have to like, you know, there's like a kind of, there's a, there's a reasoning behind it. Did his have dribble? Wasn't it they're dribbling in a ball? I know there's a ball. Naismith like invented box. dribbling specifically so that people couldn't go at an all-out sprint. Because oh. you were in such a small gym that if you went at an all-out sprint, you wouldn't be able to stop in the same way. He was comparing it to soccer, right? Yeah. And the, the the way that they run in soccer is like full out. Yeah, yeah. And you can't stop fast enough when you're running that fast no. in a gym. And in a gym, there's walls. And if you start running that fast, you're going to hit each other yeah. or you're going to run into the wall. So he, had to, he invented the dribble as a way to slow players down. Now, oh. obviously, in the last hundred years, players have learned how to sprint while dribbling and like things have changed. But the whole point of dribbling was that you can never run out of control. Right. Um, so there was there was practical like, kind of pressures to the sport. Yeah. You know, and football came out of rugby, and it's this kind of like war um, thing. I mean, like, obviously, like, at a certain point, they're not all just like metaphors for war. They're just like, you know, games. But when it comes to something like luge or bobsled, like, I don't get where that comes from. Yeah, like, I don't know the history. What's the history of, like, okay, we have this, like, random <laughs> ice track. Like, it's a, a U-shaped, like, channel that you're just going to throw yourself down. Like, it's not even <laughs> like skiing where it's like, okay, it's a mountain. Let's get down the mountain. I can, I can get that idea. But, like, a, the bobsled, you're not going down a mountain like the skiers are. You're, like, in this specialized track. Where did those tracks come from? Yeah, I don't know the history. Uh, yeah, mm, and yeah. and I refuse to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just gonna leave it as a question. Yeah, and if you more, know the answer, you can. You, you could email uh, Koi. Email me at <laughs> Koi. That's K O Y at Act Six dot com. That's A C T V I dot com. Koi at Act Six dot com. I'll check it once a month or so, and I probably won't respond. But you know, have fun. Um, and I refuse to Google it. So you know. <laughs> So, so all our illusion bobsled nerds yeah there. i mean respect for all the work you put in and i'm sure it's really dangerous um but it just makes absolutely no sense <laughs> there's no practical reasoning uh you know um i've, I've said my point <laughs> um and curling uh, equally like at least it makes like you know you're a bunch of drunk people on ice and you have a rock and you're like shuffle puck with a, oh, yeah. with a rock on ice like it makes total sense you're a bunch of drunk people on the pond that I understand as a and Canadian. And like, roll, roll, fuck, fuck, no, we're nothing to do. You just start throwing shit or sliding shit, you know. Yeah, you're loaded. You're on yeah. a, you're already. You're on a flat ground. You're already on a flat, uh, like on a pond that's frozen. You have nothing to do. There's just some rocks there. And you're just like, I don't know. Let's just, uh, let's try to hit that frozen stick in the, in the pond or yeah. something. And over a little time, it becomes kind of standardized. I can understand that. But the luge and the bobsled <laughs> is just like beyond me. Um, I just don't see. I guess I, what I'm saying is I don't see the evolution of where it came from. Yeah, I, I can. Like, who's help the first you. guy that was like, "I'm going to build this like rocket on skates and fire myself down a mountain, and let's do four of us because that's more fun." Well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. It's it must be question. somewhere from Norway. It must be like there's like an ancient Norse channel or something in a mountain yeah. that people have done since Viking times. <laughs> it's got to be something like that, you know? Yeah, I don't know. Um, so, you know, that's our high-level Olympic discussion. Um, <laughs> uh, now I want to get to something. This is, this is where we're going to get a little political. Because okay. we've, we've covered our sports. Unless there's any other sports excitement no, no, going on. No, not that, you know, I could think of. Yeah, is there any other sports? I mean, there's still the baseball strike, but I really haven't been following it. 
so I don't mm. even want to get it. I love baseball, and yeah. I'm actually very sad because if it goes into the year, the Jays could make a lot of noise. But uh, well, the baseball preseason hasn't even started. No, or it's not even scheduled to start for another month or so, right? Well, so. Probably less, two or three weeks. You know, Isn't it March that it starts. It starts in February. Well, when new pitchers report, that's a good question. Probably the the spring training starts early March, late February. But pitchers probably report in the next two weeks, mm. and they're not even talking. So we'll see. Can you can you give me a total? Somebody does not care or or <laughs> anything about this. What's happening? The owners are locking out the players. Yeah, the players. Like most unionized workers are being unfair in terms of wanting compensation. Is that so I don't know the exact issues. I mean, there's one issue I know is like they want to shorten rookie contracts because baseball is true. They're much longer than any sport. Who wants to shorten? Short- the, the players want to shorten. Association. Okay. I mean, like, Vlada, like, I don't think you're out of a rookie contract till you're like six or seven years in baseball. Whoa, that's yeah. a long time. It's a very long contract. That's the only issue I. You know, there's other issues, um, but I just don't know that. That being said, though, I think I remember like the average NBA player, um, average um, NBA career length. There's something I remember here which is quite interesting. So the average player in the NBA is around f- plays for about four and a half years. Right. I don't know if that's the same. My guess, blind guess, I. We'll confirm it. Baseball will be longer because baseball is much less physical, right? But I, I guess so. Average. We're doing this live, so enjoy the podcast. Um, MLB. I'm gonna guess. Listen, I, just for fun, just for the listener. Mm-hmm. I'm not looking. Yep. I could confirm. I'm gonna guess average baseball length of like a decent player, but we'll no, go average. Yeah, average. we can't do it any other way. Is eight years. Okay, you're way long. The average MLB player plays for 5.6 years. So sick. So five and a half. Yeah. I mean six rounding up. Um, and the rookie is a six year. So so th- this is what I was what I was thinking. I wanted to confirm it. The average career length is almost exactly the rookie contract length. So you can see which where... means the average player never gets more than a rookie you contract. You could see where major league players are coming from. It's the same with NBA, right? If the NBA, well, if the we'll, average NBA player plays for four and a half years and the rookie contract is four years, that it, means almost half of the players in the crazy. NBA don't get out of the rookie contract. Yeah, I never, interesting, I didn't know that was sports. I think, there, I think all rookie contracts in professional sports are kind of right around the average player length. Huh. And because we only, we only talk about players who are past that who are like higher like we only talk about prospects that look like they're going to be superstars or the superstars themselves i know it's apples to oranges but could you imagine like work was like you're only guaranteed your career job for like the average amount like it seems like such a novel concept well like we're not like we're gonna give you this like very small contract we're gonna average out how many people the like do a huge statistical dive and be like, okay, doctors last this many years, and, and you, you can't negotiate to have more money until yeah, until after if you do, until you can survive past that like fifty percent mark, or you have to retire because everyone else is gone. Like the average only worked twenty years. Like it just seems. 
I think a big part <laughs> of it is the retirement thing, right? Like the, that most by saying the average length is like that means like you know roughly half of the players are out of the league by that point, and for a lot of professions, that's yeah, that's in their fifties, sixties, seventies, or so whatever. So crazy. It isn't. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's actually an interesting fact. Mm-hmm. I mean, as a business, it makes sense yeah. that like you don't want to be paying people a huge amount of money until you've kind of separated the wheat from the chaff, for lack yeah. of a better, you know, for like you want the lower fifty percent of players. You don't want to be offering the massive contract. I guess the equivalent of work would be your probation period. It's, it's like actually, your it's, entire yeah. career. Well, effect, yeah, it's weird. Like, well, yeah, what you would actually, if you were to take it into another industry, you would say that the probation period <laughs> would be roughly the same length as as the average time people in that industry stay in the industry. Yeah. So if you were to look at like when is the average time that like a lawyer retires and you say like after 20 years in the industry it's like okay so your probationary in like period in in your law program like in your law firm would be 20 years and only if you can get past that 20 years will we actually consider you for like a partner partner yeah something like that so yeah it's such a different law i mean it's you know it's apples to oranges because of the salaries but it is mm-hmm. interesting mm-hmm. it is and it shows you that uh at the end of the day, the owners still control massive amounts. I mean, because if you think about most rookies, they're not even. It's actually even more interesting because I think like the lower rounds, the average rookie contract, it's less than a million. So most people throughout their career on sports are making like three to four million, and then are retiring. It's not that much. Like, I mean, considering the fact that you've given up a lot of your childhood and your youth where you had to commit like we were talking about the olympics right like because i think if you were to offer that deal to an olympic loser they would take they would take it right like a three million dollars like for all the work they put in it's like they put in probably the same amount as any professional athlete Oh, of course the difference is that like for a lot of these professional athletes who are going into these major leagues like the four major leagues like you know nfl nhl mlb nba they're having to especially nowadays commit so much of their childhood going to these like national tournaments and playing all this extra stuff. And, and even if they get a scholarship, they're having to commit so much time to their sport that unless they really choose to, um, they're kind of dissuaded from committing a lot of effort into their academic training. So the fact that they are giving up so much of, of their free time and all this other stuff for them to then only be playing for, well, I mean, we so the NBA NBA rookie salaries. But we always look at these athletes as super rich, and this kind of changes my perspective. So if you're, let's say, um, if you're the last pick in the first round in the NBA, yeah, which is thirtieth, yeah, um, this season. You're making a million six, so one point six million, and then next season one point seven five, the next one point because it goes up for the most yeah, part. Yeah, so you're making about eight million, which is still a lot. I'm not diminishing it, but like but you're making under two for four years. Yeah, so you're making about seven. Let's just say seven. Then that's before tax. Yeah. So think about like that's your career though, like. But that's your whole career that you've trained from f- eight years old. It's not, you know. It and does. you're done by like by before you're thirty. Yeah, it definitely changes my 26. perspective for a little. 
for like professional athletes yeah. much more than I ever imagined. That being said, if I had, Jesus, if I had at 26 or 27, say, if someone was like, well, here's $3 million and uh, go do something else with your life. Right. But a lot of these players don't finish their college education. A lot of, yeah. A lot of them, yeah. You know, no, it's, it is, it's just, it's a whole different time frame because, like, yeah, I'm, I'm very well over 36 at this point, or t- I'm, 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 I'm at 36. I'm over 26, you know? So if I was 10 years ago, if someone had given me oh, I would $3 million dollars and say like, okay, like time to go to school, like you don't have to, you don't have to worry about a Joe job. I mean, you're definitely not in the realm of where like a lot of the upper players are. Yeah, that's a different And you're not going to be living as a millionaire for your life, but you're probably not going to be... If you're looking at your money well, you're not going to have. But then again, you're you're in your early twenties when you're making this money, so you can easily throw away half a million, a million in a year because you're buying big stuff, and you're also f- paying for families and friends to have houses or whatever, and like you're buying cars outright. And like this is why I think a lot of these leagues are starting to to provide financial yeah training and support, and also like I think a certain, especially in the NBA, a certain proportion of your every paycheck goes to um, your retirement that you don't even have a choice where like it's just taken out of your paycheck. And then when you, when you retire, they have this like retirement fund that is money that you made that they held away from you. And that's part of this thing to like protect you from yourself to an extent. Yeah. Um, Which they've had to do because of so many players who've done it, but all that to be said, yeah, that's crazy, right? Like to making a lot less than we think. Yeah, most and that's players. all pre-tax, and it's all like pre-expenses. You know, they also have different expenses, and they have lived different lives that have that require more. Yeah, expenses. no, it's 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 definitely interesting. Mm-hmm. And then it is tough to like if you were to turn around at in your mid twenties, all of a sudden you're kind of done your career, and either you go into like coaching or something. But like, yeah, if you haven't committed to your academics in the same way as like, which is totally understandable because you've been committing to your professional athletics career and now you have to kind of choose how to like change your focus and like what am i going to do with the rest of my life and if it's not going to be athletics then you have to like start from the beginning academically or and you've been living this like high life yeah and you have to kind of change your perspective and if you're someone like in the nba physically you're just so tall or even nfl or any of these things like you're just a for the most part, like you can't hide as just like some average five foot ten dude who's like, you know, one eighty. No, no. Like you, you, you stand out. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and your expectations of what your life is going to be has been set so high, and then all of a sudden it's kind of, no, you're not quite good enough to be one of the top three hundred people in the world. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. Then again, you know, uh, it's and- easy from the outside to say like. It's a lot of money. You don't deserve to be upset about it, right? I think that's how the league is able to uh, quiet any dissent. Oh, for sure. Is it's enough for, for for normal people like us to be like, shut up, that's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then it kind of short circuits our empathy. To an yeah, extent. for sure. Mm-hmm. Speaking of empathy <laughs> and short circuiting our empathy... I want to talk about this truck convoy. Okay. Hashtag freedom yeah. convoy. Yeah. This is we're going to take some time on this. So this is how we'll wrap it up uh, for the next however long it takes. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, or if this is a time capsule, there's been a uh, <laughs> hashtag freedom convoy 
or whatever you want to call it, depending on if you're making fun of them or supporting them or hating them. But a bunch of truckers, and then uh, they reached a critical mass. They, people drove across Canada to the nation's capital, Toronto. That's a joke. It's Ottawa. <laughs> um, and they're now, they've been for a week or more just like occupying Toronto. Um, Ottawa. <laughs> sorry, yes. I keep, you know. The, you caught me. You caught me. <laughs> They're coming to Toronto this weekend. Yeah. But they've been occupying Ottawa. Um, they've been honking a lot. Uh, lots of trucks. But it's also reached a critical mass where people, um, someone I work with's friend, took a, a, a van load of, of people together and they all went up. And they're not truckers. They just like saw the critical mass and they support the movement. So at this point, like it's, it's kind of reached this critical mass where not just truckers are a part of it. Obviously, the trucker union and like the majority of truckers across Canada are not like this this movement does not represent those people no, no, no this is a minority of of these people who work in the trucking industry but there's obviously enough of this plurality that it's a a deal and these trucks are big and um they're making a stand like they i, I haven't been following this like an expert or anything but they're making a lot of noise the cops aren't doing anything from the sounds of it um there's obviously when you go online <laughs> a lot of very cool heads really talking about the details. No, it's a lot of people just like either these people are Nazis or these people are freedom fighters. That's kind of the only discussion that's happening right now online. So I wanted to talk a little bit more about this. First of all, your initial knee-jerk takes, but then like going in a little bit without trying to just be like, we support them or they're Nazis. So, uh, of course, not everyone's like a white supremacist Nazi. Um, but what about the truckers? <laughs> <laughs> um, like you know, there's no, yeah, yeah. there's some even very progressive people. But and listen, this comes from someone who doesn't believe protest has to legitimately be legal. But and like there's there's very I think democracy could be sorry. Say that again. It doesn't have to legitimately be legal. Like I mean? I think that protest has a range of options, and I'm not one who says. Like, protest is illegal, it's bad. Um, I think, like, occupying public offices is a perfectly legitimate form of okay. protest. Yeah, I would um, agree that, like, I would, uh, I, would so, I would actually add to that by saying, like, if a protest isn't somehow annoying, then it's not really effective to, arguably, arguably, that, like, part of a protest is that it's disruptive, let's just say, use the word disruptive, and if a protest isn't disruptive then arguably is it effective in any way. So I'm not analyzing it from like that traditional viewpoint. like Whether it's legal or, or illegal. Yeah, I don't... Okay. But, fair, fair. But my problem with this argument is like not everyone is. Well, not everyone was like a KKK member, but like, you know, once you bring those elements in and you don't disassociate like... Mm -hmm. Isn't that implicit support? Like, once you, it's like, I'm not part of it, but I believe in causes loosely associated with it and I'm marching with them. Like, yeah. at what point does your responsibility become to completely disassociate? Is one knee jerk reaction to this whole, well, you know, you're, you're putting me into this group. And I, my response is, well, you know, there's these elements and you're choosing to, associate and there's numerous other 
formats you could protest like you could write your mpp you could go to their office you could start your own group so this is where like like i think this so i would agree with you to an extent so like for example with jordan peele or jordan peterson peterson jordan peele's a different person who i don't want to pull (laughs) into this discussion in any way jordan peterson um sadly also from toronto uh He's someone I think this applies to in an interest, like from a pers- personal, like your your statement, because you're applying this to like a movement, and I want to take what you're saying and apply it to an individual. And I think like when it comes to someone like Jordan Peterson, what you're saying, I'm f- I fully agree with, right? Like Jordan Peterson says some stuff. He's very coercive to specifically young to middle aged white men. I think like have uh, whether or not they're progressive or or conservative politically. Um, he says some things that are like very uh, persuasive um, to to men in America, like white men in North America. Um, but that being said, he's also has a huge following from very far right, verging on fascist or white nationalist uh, people, and those are it's those groups that have actually um, fought for him on the kind of cultural politics popular stage and those people in a way have given him a lot of uh, notoriety and like fame i think for someone like him to ignore that group uh as one of his major supporters is hugely problematic and one of the things one of the largest things i the problem i have one of the largest problems i have with jordan peterson is that he doesn't acknowledge that these like there's so many racists and and white nationalists and however you want to slander these people who support him um because on the other side he says things that are that are worth considering or pulling apart or like not entirely problematic but then again he also caters to these groups that are inherently problematic and so there's this thing of like well you have like mr peterson you have to acknowledge that you can't just ignore that these groups are making you who you are. Um, but when it comes to a movement like what we're seeing in Ottawa right now, like this big protest, and to clarify what the what the protest is kind of arguing for is an end of lockdowns because of COVID. And vaccine mandates. And the end of vaccine mandates. And that's why the truckers are kind of the ones who are like the, the piece of sand that is creating this pearl, is like this... Truckers cross the border between Canada and America a lot, and truckers have had an exemption for a vaccine to cross the border up until recently. That exemption ended, so now truckers who cross the border are mandated to have vaccinations um, from Canada's side. I don't know about America's perspective. And this is the thing that is kind of, that was the spark that started this whole yeah. thing. Um, and that's kind of grown to to include larger lockdown discussion and like vaccination mandates across the board and society yeah um which is why it's growing into a larger movement i think when it comes to a movement because like when you look at something like occupy wall street which a lot of people who weren't in support of the core idea would say like well what is it about and like who's leading this and those are legitimate arguments and then also saying like well whenever you see a a left-wing I'm being very generalistic here, but in a lot of left-leaning uh, protests, like, for example, the G7 or the G8 protests in Toronto, 
you have people who are very reasonable and like protesting legitimate things. And then you also have like far extreme versions from that political spectrum. Like you have extreme communist militant type groups, not necessarily fully militant, but like they want to cause shit. And are the people who are like arranging the like the legitimate protest responsible for these other people who are kind of co-opting the protest? Right. And so it's interesting with the trucker movement. Now, you know, I I can't verify he's a leader because and it was Twitter and I'd have to. But there's two people who are extremely problematic, and maybe we'll get into this. And mm-hmm. there's a few other things I want to say. Is the mm-hmm. Start of the GoFundMe movement is a very interesting yeah. character. She's like this very kind of right-wing anti-environmentalist who like is very involved in the Alberta separatists. Like, you know, these fringe right-wing people. And then there's a video of one of the leaders of the trucker movement sprout, spouting white supremacy. And so like... It's not just some that there's a few regular Joes. It's like, you know, there's some evidence of the leadership being influxed by problematic elements. And I, and I think I, you have to ask what kind of society are these movements pushing for, which is not like a one answer. There's multiple discussions going on. But at some point, are you willing to have... Is that your answer like I'm okay with a very like racist society, even if it means ending lockdowns and mandates? Like, I again, I don't have a problem with direct action. Well, I do in what they're doing, and I want to get to that, but maybe we'll talk about that well, in let's, a sec. Let's do, yeah, because this is yeah. a big. There's a lot of stuff to um, try to untangle. So Tamara Leach, L I C H, she's the one who started the GoFundMe um, campaign, which has raised ten million dollars. That money has been held by GoFundMe yeah. because of potentially breaking um, terms and conditions. Those that were addressed, those that that GoFundMe pointed to, the clauses it pointed to were about it being used to about money being used to specifically break the law or incite violence or hatred or things like that. Um, which is kind of why they're doing that. Now they did release one million dollars of it to pay for the gas for a lot of these truckers to do it, which is part of why the whole, the uh, I think on the GoFundMe page, what they were saying the, the GoFundMe was for was for hotels, gas, food for these convoy people. Yeah, supposed to go to that. Um, so you, we're talking now, you're kind of talking about like, who is Tamara Leash? Is she problematic? Is she associated well, with these kind of... Yeah, I'm just priority. asking who's the leadership because... Like, fundamentally, when you choose to associate, you kind of have to ask what kind of society are they pushing or promoting and what kind of society is the leadership promoting. Right. But I think, and and that's a legitimate concern. I think, uh, like, I want to kind of try to, I'm going to sit a little bit more opposite to you than I would yeah. normally on my own personal perspective here, uh, just so that we can try to, like, get some pushback and, like, yeah, investigation yeah. around this. Because I think... If you were to look at, for example, like in the 60s, late 60s with like the Black Panther movement, a lot of people would say like the leaders of the Black Panther movement were people who were like highly militant, were people who were like criminals. These are people who didn't like the argument against them. And um, is it because of those people at the top, like 
is it a group that you can support? It's kind of like to reverse the polarity of your argument here, right? Right. But like, it's... Is the Million Man March in Washington something you should be a part of because there are problematic militant style people who are organizing the Million Man March? But it... So I don't know what they were spouting because there is a lot of misinformation that they were spouting like white people are evil and should be basically killed. Yeah. But if, you know, if, if that was the type of society that was being promoted, I would want to get out of there, which is kind of what I think to well, my... Malcolm X, Malcolm X was like in, in, in big favor for a long time of, of strict segregation. And he was like very anti-white, right? Right. So he, I, I in terms of like spouting the society, I guess that's like seems like a bit of a broad statement. Because are we talking about like, do we know that Tamara Leach is like a white supremacist? Is that what we're saying here? I don't know that. No, but uh, there's a, not her specifically. There was a leader on going on a rant about white Anglicans and how society has to return to it. Um, and it's just like, and so, and like you could take this to the Trump movement. There's a lot of working class people in the Donald Trump movement who I actually don't think have terrible politics. Mm -hmm. Um, but like what kind of society at the end of the day is that even if like there's some legitimate points, they talk about working class and like class conscious perspective. And like, mm -hmm. I think, you know, I think we have to question like not everyone's evil on in it like yeah that's true of donald trump that's true of a lot of these movements that try to appeal to working class people mm -hmm. um and i i mean we'll talk about it when we get into the acts but like there's also a difference between direct action targeting politicians or corporate head offices versus targeting specific populations and general right. resident. I mean, there's enough evidence here to point like it's it, to me mm -hmm. and, and maybe this is media sensationalized. I'm not on the ground to be fair. Yeah. And the algorithms always point us into the most extreme 100%. things and blah, blah, blah. Like, I think to be fair, I think we can both agree that like there are from what I've seen and from what you've seen, like I don't think it's entirely fake news that there are people who have been waving um, symbols of white, supremacy like like swastikas but, and such yeah it goes in this trucker it river. goes beyond that i mean a woman's shelter had mm -hmm. to shut down i mean because the women entering were being harassed and yelled at for not wearing masks i mean these are like marginalized women who are escaping abusive relationships they're being yelled at for not wearing masks yeah i mean so the truckers were yelling at them for not wearing masks yeah these truckers who are... Oh, no, for wearing masks. Okay. Sorry. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. In a homeless shelter, the youth didn't feel safe. I mean, they're like... Mm -hmm. They're not... The causes are not... Like, and they're honking their horns, keeping up residents at night who feel, like, terrified it's war. It's like... So the kind of direct actions, even if I don't support the cause, would be like... Well, so let me... Before we go further here, because yeah. this is something I was thinking about today or yesterday. Like, what kind of if society we to, does no, no, that no, say? Give me a second. Yeah. If we were to just look at the actions, like what you just described as like kind of communities, like like public public entities like a shelter or like a business, say, um, and I just... And I strip out... I'm going to strip out the ethnicity and like the 
the identity politics part of that of the victims. Okay. I just say like, like it could be this group, it could be that group. It's just like if but we just say like there are this like there's a public institution, there's like a uh, social service organization where the people served feel at risk, and the people who work there feel at risk because they had to shut down, right? Um, and there's this honking going on, and it's super disruptive. But let's say that the organ, let's say the same events were happening, but it was being led by um, black and indigenous protesters and a progressive movement. What would your thoughts be? In and they were doing the same tactics. I would not. Well, and there were and there were members within there who were like extreme communists that were like being violent, but they weren't necessarily like. Um, they weren't part of the organizational group and maybe one or two members of, of, of the leadership had ties somehow to some of these groups, but that as a political, as like a, a public statement, they were like, no, we don't associate with these groups, but there are pictures of, of members of more extreme organizations being within. And let's be fair. There's hundreds or thousands of these people here. Right. So like they're not yeah. all, it's not a unified front. It's not like a single entity. Um, but if this was, I just like, if this was not something that we associated with white people, but we associated with like an indigenous movement and there were some people in, there were some indigenous people saying, fuck white people, fuck the colonists, like fuck colonizers. And you had white people being scared in the streets and you had like white people feeling like they were being, uh, unsafe and you had, uh, indigenous people honking all night and disrupting residents in the same way. What would our, like, would that change how, because I think a lot of how, like, people who are progressive like us, I think, like, a lot of this protest is being colored by the fact that there are an unknown number and representation, uh, amount of people in this group who just happen to be white, who happen to be white supremacists. And I don't agree with, I think it's fucked, to be fair, but I think that's coloring our perspective of the movement as a whole. But, Is that fair? Yes and no. Obviously, I could justify it more in my head mm-hmm. if it was a progressive cause, like an Aboriginal doing what they felt was done to them. Violence, violence responding to violence. I could kind. Of, yeah, this is an indigenous movement saying like we're done with lockdowns. We're done with or we've been colonized and assaulted, so we'll assault you back. This yeah, I could at least on an intellectual level get it, but. I, I I don't know if my response would be like I could justify it at a moral level, but I'm more w- empathetic. Yeah, I wouldn't agree. Like I had no issue with the indigenous highly illegal shutting down the railroad tracks, yeah. highly disruptive of our economy. Yeah. Nothing legal about it. hundred yeah. percent illegal. Yeah. Fully supported it. Yeah. Um if they started like yelling at people or sh- like intimidating shelter workers, I would speak out against it. Well, to be fair, I think they do. Like I think like we're in Toronto, which is yeah. so urban and so colonized, right? And I think in a lot of areas in Canada that are rural and like more northern or western, like there's a lot more fear from white people of like indigenous groups. And whether that's because white people are more racist or whether that's because of like, I don't want to try to get into analyzing that bullshit, but I think like when you're, when the white people are a smaller plurality in a community and there's a larger plurality of indigenous people who like 
when they get when they become politically unified are like, well, fuck this. Like it doesn't really I guess my point is like it doesn't really matter which group is being scary. If you're the group that's like feels like you're being targeted, then it's easy to villainize them. So it's easy like now we're in a, in a unique position being white ourselves um and like you're also of Jewish descent. So to be like very critical of white nationalists. But, right. But, but like if you were if we were walking on the street and there was a bunch of indigenous people in trucks like scaring us, we'd also be kind of like, mm, that's messed up, right? Like, and I think it's easy, like, but the fact that there's these like, these flags, I guess how much does that make us shut down our empathy towards the larger movement, which we're forgetting, oh, which is not about white nationalism. No, uh, the movement is about COVID. A hundred percent. It does that. Like, that's a hundred percent true. But for example, while I'd highly disagree if they like, broke a window of a big pharma company pfizer they make the vaccines or anti-vaccines yeah. at least intellectually i could get that this is symbolic like we just smashed the vaccine thing is i don't know if pfizer has any windows no no but you, you know? get my point yeah. there's at least an action related to the cause yeah or like if you were anti-lockdown and like you know but in fact what they're doing is forcing another lockdown like many businesses aren't opening so like but again like if a bunch of black people smashed the window of david duke and mm-hmm. this is going to sound aggressive and burn <laughs> down his office as long as he wasn't in it mm-hmm. i would like you Being know pathetic. yeah and i just I, I so i want to take that as a kind of as a baseline to kind of just keep in mind as we keep going yeah to kind of be considering the idea that like while we keep expo- but, exploring this discussion, honestly when you asked about the fascist if there's elements in a left-wing protest Mm-hmm. of like racist and they be i think a public statement wouldn't be enough if they didn't try to stamp those out and say you are not welcome in our march like you can't stop it but like actually didn't actively well you were in toronto during the g8 right and i didn't see any racist heard, signs i mean no but i heard that there was a lot of like violent right which far I, left protests. which i said i'm not against violence as long as there's some connection to the cause and it's not directed at so what's the difference between like violence and other violence well like smashing a starbucks window is very different than yelling at a woman people leaving a woman's shelter so you're saying that like you're more okay with like property damage than making people scared yeah, I mean, you, there's a room for debate. I mean, on I mean, all, I'm just asking your feelings. Like, yeah, like, as I said, like at least if they're fighting vaccine vaccines, like targeting a place like a corporate headquarter of making a vaccine, I could, on an intellectual level, understand its symbolism. There's something related. Well, right, and the symbolism is like, like right now, like the truckers to try to keep us on topic. The truckers are in Ottawa. The nation's capital. That I get. There's this symbolic, like, kind of nature. Yeah. There, uh, because Ottawa is so small, the government buildings, and also, like, n- let's be fair, I think it's well over fifty percent of the people who live in Ottawa work in the in the federal government. Not all of them are elected, obviously, but like they work in the government. Yeah, obviously. So by being in Ottawa, like most of the people are either literally working for the government or they're in support industries, which could be food and entertainment, it- but. Like, the entire economy of Ottawa 
is because of the federal government. It only exists as a city because of that. And the government buildings are also right downtown. Yeah. So occupying the city, like you're directly in in the same way that the G G seven or whatever G eight protests were in the economic center of Canada, Toronto, is like they're in the political center of Canada, and that's where they're because that's a symbolic place and representation. No, the location their, makes sense for their dis dislike. And and let's yeah. let's try to before we like unspiral too much to focus back on like what they're protesting and what do we think about that, right? And like we can keep talking about the other yeah. stuff, but like to kind of keep reminding like what the the purpose of the whole protest is around two years of, of lockdowns on and off across every province has been slightly different because um, mm-hmm. each province has its own medical, like how they deal with medical. Yeah, they have the their own do. jurisdiction. Yeah, that's how we do a breakdown in Canada. Um, but obviously the federal government is able to, um, you know, pressure those gov- those provincial governments in its own way, um, if not force them you know well the truckers are there because as you said the border is a federal issue yeah and make they're coming now ontario deals with implementing local health or provincial health issues that's why they have to shut down university because they're worried they're going to target healthcare networks but ottawa the truckers went there because they're most impacted by decisions ottawa makes because of the border yeah yeah but also, I mean, but also because Ottawa is our, like, the seat of the federal government. Right? There's like, symbolic power. It's a symbolic, yeah. rep- it's, this, it's the seat of power in Canada. So it's, if you're going to be going and joining in a single place in Canada, it makes sense that that would be it, Ottawa for a political movement. Like, yeah, it, it if just, you're not, yeah. It's the right symbolic If place. you have transnational interest, yeah. Yeah. Um, and... And so, like, let's keeping everything that we kind of already talked about without necessarily ignoring any of it. Like, what do you think about like this 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 kind of growing movement about like kind of getting rid of lockdowns, getting rid of mandates, even or like or kind of like you know, in so, what do you think? So there's always going to be this tension between. Well, people will say it is more complicated, but I think well, there will always be this tension between, like, well, a few things. One is, like, freedom and liberty versus, like, state control and public health, and then other tension. Well, it's public health used as a justification, right? right. And I think that's what one of the reasons they're so upset. Well, but public health always will have some type of control like public like smoking laws or like public health is implicitly passing policies to improve public health so they're doing something um which right but i i I just mean i'm saying justification because like for example there are lots of deaths every year that could be avoided through public health measures such as like car deaths no, right? there's like well, in 2017 there were, and that's but that's the tension. Do you reduce speed limits or not? And five out of every hundred thousand people die in a car accident no, no, in Canada. So like, is that more or less than the people who die right. of COVID? And do we shut down our roads because people aren't allowed? Right, and because that, it's too dangerous. Right, that, like yeah, and that's so, always the tension between these like kind of 
right. rights of people versus public health. Because public yeah. health, you're always going to infringe. And the argument that they're, that they're using is that the justification of COVID compared to how many deaths it's actually causing is like an unfair justification for these imposed measures. Right. right? Now, That's their justification. That's their argument. Now, I tend to think, you know, like a lot of people are, for example, comparing it to the flu, which statistically is not. I mean, I hope one day we get it to flu numbers just in cases. Now, it's hard to compare because the flu ranges and there's no, like, I've Googled it. There's, it's all estimates and, which is shocking. I mean, I think that speaks to how bad health that is, not just in Canada, everywhere. Um, U.S. CDC may have the best flu data. They have some specific when stuff. You, when you say flu data, what do you mean? Like deaths, how many people have died because of the flu in Canada. They, they don't have a like annual breakdown of how many people even had the flu, but it's clear COVID is beyond that. Um, and like, it's not just about deaths; it's like core hospital admissions. And so, there is an interesting question: is has COVID? It's a bit of a sidetrack, but I'll get back to the question: mm-hmm. has COVID shown cracks in our systems that we need to address? And then we could reduce things like lockdowns and mandates and all that. Because if we had proper hospital capacity, mm-hmm. if we had proper staffing, yeah. it's not the issue we don't have ICU beds. We actually have them. It's not the issue we don't have hospital beds. We have them. We have the staff. We would have the room to deal with a, a lot bigger numbers. Mm-hmm. So it's, you can't compare it to the flu, but the issue is this is putting too strain on our on our acute care system. Right. So the solution is to build up our acute care system. Well, so I think there's two issues here. So one one is a really interesting thing about the the flu and that we don't have clean numbers. We don't. We have a lot of numbers, obviously, yeah. um, but we don't have like very clean numbers. No. Now I think that is a really interesting opening for this kind of argument of the freedom convoy, which is like, because COVID is, uh, has been a pandemic and it, and it is an ongoing pandemic. Um, our medical system is much more focused on COVID. Yeah. And so we're testing people. And so we're, you know, tracking it and tracing it and all these numbers in a way that we're not doing it with less severe diseases yeah. like flu. So arguably flu at this point, now that we have vaccinations and now that we're like, you know, with Omicron being a, a more um, light variant, it, the numbers with flu could be higher than we think on exponentially, right? Times 10 or whatever. But because we don't have the numbers, because we never tracked it, we don't really concretely know. So we have these really close to concrete numbers with COVID and we can't, we can't say the same. We can't compare it. Uh, one-to-one with the flu. We do know the flu isn't doing the damage to our hospital system, though. And that's and that's where you get into the next point, right? Right. So, and the and next so point is my, that my the, point is the I, overload on the hospital I think system. I think, unfortunately, individual liberties have to take a hit, but the problem is it's kind of this baked-in discussion. Like, is it mandates or loosening them? Is it? And it, as long as we cycle between those two... I don't think anything, between between do we end mandates 
or do we have all these public health? Ma- like, I think there's You mean these... like vaccine mandates or lockdowns? Yeah. Is that what you're... Yeah, like there's these two narrow lanes. Mm. And I think as long as like we we can have these narrow path discussions, what the actual solution is clearly increasing, improving our medical care system. And then I think the capacity to handle pandemics and not lockdown is much greater. Okay, but now I'm going to bring in something that we haven't considered, which is time frame. Right, it'll take Because we're, we're talking about, like, when we talk about this stuff, we're ignoring the cost. And we're just of course. assuming, because to, you know, whatever, cost is not something we can evaluate. And also, yeah. the government has proven that it can spend money when it needs to and wants to. Um, but there's something that you can't change, which is time frame. Right, like, no, because I do agree. Um, one of the things when the the pandemic first hit that I was seeing and and looking at and thinking was was how big stress is whether it's a pandemic or whether it's a something like a hurricane, right? Like big stresses on a society like this that are kind of outside our control. Um, they strain the system, and what they do when the system is strained is it exposes weaknesses. Um, one of the things you're discussing right now is the weakness of our healthcare system to take this overload, right? That for many decades, our healthcare system has been cut and cut and cut to reduce cost. And what that means is that when it takes on a huge strain, it can't take that strain without getting overloaded. Um, which we both agree on. It's right. clear, and that's what's been proven. And then, uh, then we have to get into lockdowns. or And then there's all these other things we can do to try to reduce the overload or prevent right. the overload. Um, but the, the underlying issue is that there is, um, there is a lack of resiliency, is the word, that, that the healthcare system across Canada doesn't have the resiliency to be able to take something like this. Um, because... The, one of the big justifications for all these lockdowns, especially we're talking post-vaccine in a major way, right, is is the la- is the fear of these healthcare systems being so overloaded that we can't uh, treat people with other issues, whether it's long-term planned um, uh, surgeries or whether it's just like less acute care, which are things that could be preventative, that if you can't get it now, then it will become acute and a health risk, like a, a mortal risk later on down the line because you can't deal with it now. And these, and in Ontario, on and off, we've had to prevent or we had to cancel um, non-essential surgeries. Those types of surgeries could become essential down the road if we don't have them now, right? So yeah. this is the, the lack of resilience in our system that you're describing and I think is kind of obvious for anyone who looks at it it's 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 a clear i agree with you um but what you're describing as as the most the most effective answer which i also agree which is building up resiliency in the system is something that requires people to be educated which takes time and to get experience which you know to become a doctor you can't just like we can't just throw people in and be like pick up a hammer and like you know, build a road and like, we'll treat you, we'll, we'll, we'll train you on the job, right? Like to be a healthcare worker um, and you're trained in the facility, in the field yourself, like even at the very lowest level as a healthcare worker takes 
hundreds of hours, years of training, let alone a surgeon or like a high level doctor, right? Which can take a decade yeah. of specialized training. And even people in that specialized training can fail at that training. Um, and then there's the money it takes to train them and all that stuff. Assuming we have unlimited money, there's time. And we've been two years into this pandemic. If if in March 2020, we had said, we're going to force more doctors into build resiliency, arguably, and I don't, I'm, and I've done no research, but like arguably, we still probably would be understaffed, yeah. right? Um, now, we're in a little bit of a different situation in Canada because we probably have a lot of newcomers who have been in Canada recently or or for even many years who were fully qualified in their home countries. And because of our laws, they're not allowed to work as qualified people here. Uh, a lot of those people could have been brought up to speed very quickly by just being like, okay, you know how the thing you do in your country? We do it slightly differently here. Done. Now you can work in a hospital yeah. or now you can be a doctor. Those things could have been done. And, and that yeah. could have gotten us like a nice quick influx of qualified people, uh, which not every country has. But all that being said, like the, that's a solution that really isn't a short-term solution in the way lockdowns and mandates are, right? Right. And so I guess, there, you know, I, I generally believe that the health of people is the policy priority over individual liberty. And it's not like... Right. And, you know, there's data's inconsistent. Some data shows lockdown works. And there's, you know, data that I'm sure you could find to disprove that lockdowns. Mm. And I don't think there's data you could find to disprove that mask help. Um, the quality there, of masks. I mean, supposedly there are. There are <laughs> quality of masks matter. Sites, you can find Google hits that will say it. Yeah, but I mean, like, so, you know. I think a lot of how masks work is kind of like how condoms work. It's like if you're not wearing yeah, if you're it not, properly, yeah, of then course. it won't work. And um, that's the weird thing with masks is like you can't check if every. Like, how do you enforce someone's wearing a mask properly? Right. Then, of course, there's the, like, some masks don't work as well as other but, masks. But the other thing I find very interesting on this whole liberty thing is, like, I, and this whole two-year argument is, like, our liberty is not as granted as we think. And I don't, I just don't think we think about it walking every day in life. How almost every day in life, our liberty is taken away. And we don't really question it. So I'm a bit confused to why this issue is as this is a explosive. Point. This like, is an interesting point. So, like, so describe I how liberty is taken away. Yeah, yeah. Bars have restrictive, uh, like restricted hours. There's last call. I mean, it's not as big as a deal, but it's not like bar owners could say, "I want to serve liquor all night." Um, I okay. Before you, but go wait, wait, wait. There's other. Uh, there's smoking laws. Like smokers have to smoke outside. Mm-hmm. Um. They right. can't smoke on public. Sh- there's millions of rules around that. There's, you know, I have to wear a seatbelt. That's not optional. I mean, like, almost, mm-hmm. I could keep going, but it's just interesting that, like, now I know they don't affect our economic well being. They're a bit apples to oranges. And I definitely get that. But, like, there's a, restaurant owners have a gazillion rules to follow. As you know, they don't have liberty to fully run the restaurants the way they want to. Okay, I guess before we just go into a list, yeah. the question is like, what is liberty here? Because cause there's... Um, but, but that's an interesting question, I think, to the other. 
Like, now I understand lockdowns are, like, extreme, but, like, they also have issues with mask mandates. Like, literally putting a lot of them putting on a mask in a store. And so, like, that is a good question. What does liberty mean to them? It means, like, you have to put on a mask, which to me is no different than putting on a seatbelt. Right, because, I mean, if liberty means... If 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 full liberty means unaccountability, but, right. like you, there's no laws, you can do whatever you want, well, right? Then, yeah. But what's the difference between a mask and a seatbelt? Well, I mean, I think you can vary. It's a lot easier statistically to show that when you don't wear seatbelts, you get in much more horrific accidents, which create much more of a strain on the healthcare system, and that healthcare system is publicly funded. That means that the money that the healthcare system needs to spend is a lot higher because right. people who get injured without seatbelts get horrifically hurt or killed. Right. In a much higher proportion. Right. So yeah. So, so it's, it's not as it's not as difficult to prove that because they're horrific injuries. No, the the injuries more severe, but they're both public. Right, which is they're both public health measures. I mean, it's much like and, in a seatbelt. It's still like you're. It's still you're hurting yourself. Yeah, that's kind of the, my a point. lot of the argument around mask wearing is like you're protecting uh, you're protecting other people, yeah. which is a little bit more disconnected, right? Like, like in a way, if you're just looking at who's going to get hurt and die, then a seatbelt is like, yeah, I'm the one who's going to get killed. Like, I'm not wearing a right. seatbelt, I'm going to get killed. If you're looking at it from like a public health perspective, looking at Considering our pub- our healthcare is public and it's paid for by taxes, and you're not paying for your own healthcare, then um, by not wearing a seatbelt, if you get in an accident, now you have a bunch of doctors who have to take care of you in an ambulance that needs to pick you up, whereas they wouldn't have had to, and that's a resource commitment for our healthcare right. system and a strain that doesn't have to be in there. Right. Right. But there's just no mass like don't make seatbelts non-mandatory protests so like i don't i don't know where they're i think there might have been when they first (laughs) were like i think the big thing that we forget is that like i i did i spent a few days going back into like when we first created the smallpox vaccine and when we first looking at canada specifically there were massive riots in montreal people were killed okay against in against smallpox vaccines right like anti-vaxxers what we would call now. Though the smallpox vaccine genuinely had to be recalled numerous times. Um, I think. Uh, this is something we need to look up because I don't know. I think there was. I mean, some people would argue this vaccine's unsafe because things have myocarditis. But there's, you know, that's a whole other discussion. But I think people were dying from initial smallpox vaccines and then they got very safe. But yes, there's always resistance to... When your liberties infringed. Yeah, I, I don't know. That's because because smallpox vaccination was like quite a while ago. Yeah, it it was a f- formally eradicated in the nineteen seventies. Yeah, um, the things that I was looking at were like literally eighteen hundreds, like yeah. late eighteen hundred, early nineteen hundreds, and there were big, big protests, thousands of people, and and people got hurt and died because they didn't want to get vaccinated for things like smallpox. Um, and it might have been another, uh, you know, these early vaccinations, and, which were mostly live virus vaccinations. And then a question, do people eventually accept smallpox vaccines? Like once people got used to it? Well, I think this is the big thing that we forget about 
uh, especially being on the left and progressive, yeah. is we forget that like and and to your point about liberty is like the gover the th- one of the defining traits of the government is legitimacy of power. And at a certain point, when the government wants to do something, now we see this on the left because how the government responds to most left protests, unlike the truck con- convoy, is that they say, well, no, fuck you. We're going to beat you up and arrest you. And we're using our violence and our right to violence and right to power, like right to violence, um, to make this happen. And if you don't do it, then we're going to beat you up or we're going to arrest you and take a- like and just you know do whatever the fuck we want to do. Um, and that's what a lot of governments do, and they did yeah. in the past. Is like at a certain, you know, and it happens on the left all the time. Like if you look at the BLM and you look at like indigenous protests, right, right. At a certain point, the government's just like, we don't care what you say. We're arresting all of you, right. Which and, is like, and that's just like we've had enough of this shit. And like we're the government, we're allowed to do that. Uh, yeah. Um. So the government will put up with it for enough time and like maybe we can talk about it but like at a certain point whether you're protesting or whether you're quietly resisting like if you're quietly making uh poison in your house eventually the government's just gonna be like you can't do that like we're gonna burst down your door and like arrest you for it like and drugs as an example right if you're quietly taking heroin in your house like for the most part the government won't care but if you're making too much of it the government's going to be like, no, you can't just do that. Yeah. Um, and I, whether yeah. or not you can argue it hurts anyone else. And I guess I would, yeah. And like, I don't know, what other pandemic has been beaten by doing nothing? Like, it's also the well, other but, argument. I mean, the Spanish flu, like, just went away. Right. That's because it just killed a lot of people. Like, we never got a vaccine for the Spanish right. flu. In many ways, I think influenza that we have is the Spanish flu. Yeah. Like, what we do every year, what we call the flu, the flu season, began with the Spanish flu. A hundred percent. And it's just changed and evolved and gotten weaker. We never beat the Spanish flu. We just, though it, it swept through our population way faster. And so a lot of people died very quickly. And this is to speak to the anti-vax perspective if we had just not done a lockdown, allowed everyone to die who's going to die, and we would have moved on. Right. Which goes to their point. Not not to say that I fully agree. Which goes with full it. circle, comes down to like kind of what kind of society do you want? Like, is it just like kind of a survival of the fittest? Like, well, and who defines risk, right? Yeah. Like, who defines what is risky? I think when you, I think there's a, now we're not America, right? And I think. When you're in a country like America with private health care, then a lot of the arguments that I would personally use, and I'm not saying that I'm using the same arguments the government's using, but that I would use for a lot of stuff don't apply. Like if you're saying like, you know, wear a seatbelt, like, well, what's the worst that can happen? You're going to kill yourself. Well, that, okay. On your health, on your insurance, you just say, I'm not going to wear a seatbelt. And then your insurance premium goes up and it's your own problem right like because the government isn't paying for your health care so you know if you want to kill yourself kill yourself if you want to smoke your health insurance goes up that's your own problem when the government's paying for that and, we're, and or what the government means in our case is like technically we all are paying for the it. taxes yeah the, the taxes tax are payers yeah that then like if you're doing something that's going to put a strain on the health care system so much so that it might 
uh, take away from the health care of other people who aren't putting themselves at risk, like not wearing a seatbelt, like smoking, then, yeah, the government has a right to say, you know what, like, don't smoke in these areas, and we're trying to dissuade you from smoking, because what you're doing is you're actually creating tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people that are going to get cancer or going to get all these issues that then we have to pay for the care. Right. And like, we don't want it. We want to discourage that. And what that does is it actually is purely economically, it's a cost saving policy and it just saves the money that the healthcare system has to spend. And there's a side benefit of people living healthier lives. (laughs) If you're purely economic looking at it. Yeah. But yeah. that's that's one method of analysis. But it is like, I mean, that question is like a very, I mean, there's a practical element, but it's it's essentially a philosophical debate of like, kind of, you know, do you believe in a society of liberty or of kind of collectivism? You know, it's mm-hmm. not because you asked, you could ask that about any issue and probably the answers will be along liberty versus it like if you ask a string of questions it'll be the same but what's a bit different about this mandate which i actually is a bit interesting is i have a lot of friends not a lot but one who sticks out but others who are generally very left Mm -hmm. and are collectivist Mm -hmm. but when it comes to this issue in health Mm -hmm. They they kind of their philosophical underpinnings change, mm-hmm. and I, I I need to sit down because they're like mm-hmm. believe in collectivist policies and public health policies, and then when it comes to these like public health policies just around COVID, they say like it's my personal the personal liberty and health arguments. They start yeah. to be come in and now they're part of these like problematic right-wing movements where then they start saying i don't care about race i'm defending workers well this is and and it's like i'm like you're getting entrenched in these individual liberty kind of positions which is fine Mm -hmm. like they're not invalid but this goes against everything you believed in for your life, and now you're entrenched in these weird political movements. Well, but I think this you is where there's this unfair, and this is where I was talking about earlier. Yeah. Is this unfair kind of like associating this position with this like right nationalism or with this problematic stuff, right? Like, because I think it is totally like that's really unfair to all of us in society to say that like you're allowed to be progressive and this and this and this and socialist or whatever you want to say, and also. Before be before personal liberty, like you're like that. That shouldn't mean all of a sudden I have to give up my um, my respect of people of color and like understanding systemic racism because I want person. You know, like you can hold those two. Beliefs. No, no, yeah, that I get, but I don't get how you can be such a collectivist on like the right to housing, the right to food, like all mm-hmm. these rights, and then you when it comes to like. Well, mask was, mandates and all these other things you're like my health is more important than the collective i'm like but you on well, everything else I don't you think, believe I think that, in the collective health of people I, need to, I think you need to strike that my health thing because it's they're not saying my health is more important well they're saying they're i have saying, a right to do whatever i want with, like that's the arguments i hear i could 
put whatever vaccine I want. I could choose to wear a mask. I and I'm like, well, they're saying I can choose not to get a vaccine, not that I can get any vaccine. Like, right. like you're just like the wording is needs to be precise here, right? Yeah, they're true. saying like I. I don't, it's, I think seatbelt is a good example. I think smoking is a pretty good example, like comparatively, because, because it's saying like, well, if I want to smoke and I want to get cancer, then that's my prerogative. And to be fair, the government hasn't outlawed smoking. No, but they've banned it. They've banned it in a lot of indoor places and, but that's because of like research around how it affects people nearby, right? But you're still allowed to smoke. Yeah, I have no problem if you don't want to wear a mask in place since no one could get covid but like i don't get but they've taken these positions that seem to be like but if everyone is also vaccinated right which is the other weird thing but if most but if let's say like everyone everyone who knows that there's a risk like if i could get vaccinated from lung cancer for smoking yeah then if you could get a shot that would vaccinate you from secondhand smoke would you care as much about making smoking illegal inside? I don't know if I'd care as much. I would because of others. Now, like, would the debate be should everyone have to get that? Is no, here, let me, let me put it this way. Let me, because I'm just thinking about this now. Yeah. If you could get a shot that would make you, that would vaccinate you from secondhand smoke, lung cancer, all that stuff. So it doesn't matter if people are smoking in the same room as you. Yeah. Would you say, would you support the government saying it's up to the business whether they have non-smoking or smoking section or make it a non like it's the business's choice because you can get vaccinated if you want and you don't have to smoke so therefore let the business choose i think there would be more room for a, a reasonable debate i would still stand on like like your personal vote, obviously, like you're allowed your personal uh, vote. Yeah. But would you be like, would would it be a rational? Argument? There would be rationality that like at that point, people are choosing not to get the vaccine. Like yeah. they're kind of doing it to their themselves. And, are, and using that same metaphor, if you're choosing not to get vaccinated for COVID, like because once you're vaccinated, like even if you get it, like the chances are it's fine, right? So why do masks, like why do you have to wear a mask? Or why can't you let the business make that decision if peop- if the business like is allowed to say, look, we're not doing masks in our business. If you're not vaccinated, this be- is going to be higher risk for you. Be- right. It's your choice. Like It's not an essential service. We're not talking about a federal like public. Or grocery stores or anything. Yeah, we're not talking about essential okay. services. We're not talking about public services. I need to be clear on it. Yeah, we're talking about like, like a restaurant, which is like, it's up to you, man. Like. If if you want to like in the same way like if if you're a restaurant and you want to have pictures of like dicks on the wall you're allowed to do that people might be offended they don't want to come to your restaurant but it's like your choice it's your business like if you want to if you want to have no masks in your so, restaurant and you don't want to be vaccinated then that's your risk but right if, if you come and you're vaccinated then hey like also if you want to come and wear a mask cool do it like we don't care but right it's like but why but this is where it's like why force it right and and I think. And this is where personally, I think there's a lot of rationale within this argument and the truckers movement. Yeah. I think a lot. I think it's couched in a lot of problematic group with a lot of pro- it's it's sharing its bedfellows with a lot of problematic groups. There's a lot of people who share political ideologies that I don't agree with in that movement. But I think that there is in its core very rational arguments to be had yeah and i think the problem i i'm a little bit upset that people on the left and progressives 
um, are not willing to have some of these rational discussions because from my perspective, it's couched next to these white supremacists and therefore they're saying, well, we're not, we're not willing to discuss it. But I think that, no, some of this discussion is very reasonable two years into a, uh, into a pandemic when we have vaccinations that are given out for free, when the mortality rate has dropped dramatically, when most people who are vaccinated are not going to hospital. Like, you know, we're at this point where it's like, look, if you're vaccinated, if you're boosted, like, and we're, it's all free, it's all available. Like, why can't you just go into a place without a mask? And if you like, also, I think there's a historical mandate where like, we haven't done this with any other disease ever. Uh, yeah. Like that's been this, like, like once you've had like a point where like, we not said like, look, like you have to test negative for HIV before you can come into this business. And we never said that you have to test negative for, um, for smallpox before you can come into this business. We've never said that you have to test positive. Like we've never done these cert like, so I think a lot of rationale for why people are getting so up in arms is that there isn't a, a history of similar policy in our lifetime. So, yeah, I 100% agree with rationality and discussion around, well, if people are choosing to not get vaccinated and take the risk, and especially this vaccine with Omicron doesn't prevent you from getting it. So I think there's even more room to open it up, like, Non-essential. I don't think grocery stores. We're not talking yeah. about specific places, but obviously. like non-essential should be like businesses. You know, like you have a responsibility to get vaccinated. Like maybe, maybe you say like if you're a business that doesn't require a mask, you have to make a poster or whatever the no, fuck, like yeah. whatever. Like no, I'm not I saying think total free, reasonable like, rules unless a vaccine was 100 percent effective in stopping the spread, but it's not. It's not. So like, and it never was. To be fair, yeah, yeah. It was extremely effective, but it's even less with Omicron. So I think, yeah. like, there's room for that. And that's, like, there's room for discussion. We're also not talking about a vaccine that's but difficult I would to get. We're not talking about a vaccine that costs money, right? No, in, Canada, in, in this debate, we're talking about free vaccines that are easily available to who wants them. I, which, at after a certain point you're only left with people who don't want it, which means they've chosen they don't want I, it. I would I would say there's a bit of misinformation. Mandatory vaccines is new. It's new in the sense it, there's a pandemic, and so we've introduced it to a new population. Mm -hmm. It's con in the context it's new. But remember, as children, to be in school, we had to have vaccines. Mm -hmm. Now, those were developed as policies, but... That's because they didn't come in the middle of a pandemic. Mm -hmm. So I we have mandatory vaccines. So I, I don't think that concept is new. Oh no, I'm not. And well, to and to yeah. be fair, to go into an institution mm -hmm. like a bar is an institution, mm -hmm. and that's this is more draconian because we all actually have a right under law to be educated till we're eighteen. It's mm -hmm. not, like it's illegal for your parents to withhold education. They actually withhold you from education if you don't have the vaccine. So, in fact, a mandatory vaccine is way more draconian than what they're doing to bar. But so are, there, push... are there mandatory vaccinations for flu for, for education? No, but so. they're just mandatory vaccines that have much harsher penalties than oh, yeah. and, not and being be able fair, to like, enter a bar. I'm, I'm never, like, I, I think the argument that we never, like, uh, that there's no such thing as vaccine mandates or they, they, they don't exist, or we sh we've never had them, is like, yeah, I agree, it's a stupid argument. But the, the counterpoint is, 
is to say we don't we don't mandate a vaccine for every vaccine that we have in the world. No, we don't right? mandate for every like, disease. Like flu is optional, right? Unless you're vaccine, a healthcare worker, but yes. In yes. certain cases because it's, of who you are, right? It's generally optional. But like you yeah. don't you don't prevent kids from going to school if they don't get their no. their flu vaccine. It's very different with smallpox yeah. or things like polio, right? Like because those are different. Like and we we've we've discussed it as a society 100 years ago or or 60 years or ago because it's so prevalent. We dealt with it. And it and because it had such an impact on people's lives. Yeah. Um so y- those we had things that we we but, we dealt with. But for something like where we're getting to with COVID and because I think this is where Joe Rogan like has a point. I don't agree with a lot of what he says, but I think he has a point, which is like it's hard to even invoke him because his statement is couched in so much problematic specifics. But his larger scale point is that like a lot of these discussions that are considered extreme right now, which is like how long are these mandates going to last? How long are these lockdowns going to last? How like when do we when are we allowed to actually live our own lives? Um, in another X months, X years, progressives will be asking the same question, and it won't seem like an extreme but, right thing. And I think my answer to that is the problem is we have to ask this, and there's no objective answer. Like that's kind of we've had so many, not so many. We've had it. a a long history of pandemics and we don't have like objective guidelines of like when should vaccines become mandatory what's our hospital limit what's the number of we're we're willing to put strain on our like well see i think you're i think i like this is where like you 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 and and alberta's work of like none of this should be that subjective like when should vaccines be you you said there's, they became mandatory because of like the effects and impacts, but a lot of data can, you know, like a lot of this could be set in policy work if this disease, ha- you know. Well, I mean, in in a democracy like we have, yes. it's always subjective, and when it comes down to policies, it's always subjective. Right, but you could at least have some clear guidelines versus like. Yeah, but I also think you just kind of circled around it, which is it's not from my perspective. It's not a difficult indicator. What you're saying is what are what are the indicators that a society should have or our government should have for when to enforce or to stop these enforcements, right? Yeah. Um, and from my perspective, and you've circled around it already, uh, it's not complicated. The indicator, the indicators are the healthcare system, right? The real indicator is beyond absolute deaths, right? Like that's the first one. The obvious indicator is how many people are dying can we reduce that? How many people are being um, permanently crippled or or um, losing uh, their their health because of a, a thing? Right, they're permanently injured. Um, that's a simple indicator. Once those indicators drop so drastically that we're now like, okay, well, what are the other indicators? And I think we get to a very simple one, which is how overloaded are the people in our healthcare system? And it's very easy to analyze that. Like, how are people actually able to take time off like a normal person, like someone in any other industry? Uh, are, are people being forced to work massively long shifts that we've already fought 
you know, many union activists a hundred years ago or more fought for a seven, a five day work week, fought for 40, 45 hour work week, you know, fought for two days off a week. That was fought. And that at the time, people were asking similar things like, well, what's subjectively normal? Like, what do we, well, you know, why not, why not six days a week? No, why not seven? We, as a society, we agreed 45 hours is, that's your full time. Uh, five days a week, that's full time. Anything more is extra. Like, you know, we kind of established these norms. Now, we can argue whether those norms have changed by now. And we can also talk about the creep of how much people are being forced to work now. And that's a whole different discussion. But you can very easily look at it when you have public health care workers that are paid for, that are paid by the government. You have all these numbers publicly available of people who are doing surgeries, people who are frontline nurses and healthcare workers in hospitals and in clinics. How much are they working? How much time have they had off? How many, how long are their shifts, right? And as long as those numbers are, are above this threshold, we're still in a state of urgent care and we need to do things to reduce that. Now, measures that are, are responsive like lockdowns, mandatory vaccines, those are reactive policies. Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah. And then there's also, but the thing is, as we've also said, there needs to be preventative policies like increasing uh, funding, increasing hiring, you know, m- making sure that you're not always on a skeleton staff, right? So that you have extra people working that can take this on. But that right. re- that's long-term thinking and that's long-term spending. But, but yeah, but it's completely crazy we actually are starting from ground zero asking when should a vaccine become mandatory? How do we know what is the reasonable point to lock down and to put mandates? It's not like this is our first <laughs> pandemic. Well, and I think we're going to, and like, it's yeah. not like there had, you know, there hasn't been best practice. It just like, it mm-hmm. seems odd to me that like these discussions are legitimate. Well, uh, and not just like yeah. these they're d- legitimate. They're legitimate, and you would hope these would just be fringe element, like extreme right or left. But they're actually legitimate discussions I have in all circles, and that to me is kind of scary. That we've had polio, the Spanish flu, like numerous outbreaks. Well, let me reframe it a little bit because I don't think it's scary. I think I think something else is scary. Um, the fact that we're having these discussions and asking these questions, yeah, um, especially in a time of a pandemic, that's actually that should be the discussion in a de- democratic society. It should be, but I we... think those discussions are exactly what you want to be having in a democratic society. The fact that they are polarizing discussions is problematic. The fact that the discussions that are associated with only one side being far this, one side being far that, that to me is problematic. But shouldn't we know when? and a vaccine like like shouldn't there have been best practices about when vaccines should be mandatory who says there aren't so this is where i'm saying the more problematic side is i was just listening to a podcast um it could happen here robert evans um it's very interesting or no he it was um behind the bastards he's talking about the fda yeah federal drug administration he's an american great independent journalist um talking about the history of the FDA, they started out as a great organization, right? They came in during a period of America when (laughs) they were serving some horrific stuff to people, um, like putting, you know, like copper and mercury and chalk 
in and like parasitic dirty water into oh, milk and babies were dying not just milk but all food was like not food so the poorer you were the less your food was real food and people were just dying yeah and you know the the economy was you know this is the the market forces at work right saving on your costs uh and when they tried to implement the fda and policies they got really mad they're like, but we, this is going to cost us more money, you know? And like, that's, that's how, this is why I think we both agree that policies are required. And this is why the market doesn't always self-correct. It's because the market will always, if it's cheaper to poison someone, then they will. Like, it's just kind of how capitalism works. Um, now, the FDA also dealt with drugs. And one of the things that it did really well was there was this drug for being given to uh, pregnant women yeah. and the FDA was like, no, we don't think we want to give it to pregnant women. A lot of European countries did. And within a few months or a few years, it was very clear that huge amounts of birth defects were because of this drug. And America was like, oh, we dodged a bullet, you know, because we didn't allow this drug to go through. Jump forward, f- you know, 50, 80, 100 years. And the FDA is allowing drugs like Oxycontin on the market. And supposedly, like, there's a bigger, there ended up being a larger uh, opioid problem in America with with the controlled, with, with opium as a controlled substance than 100 years ago when opium was literally anyone could buy it without a prescription at a drugstore. And the reason is because of how the FDA approved Oxycontin and labeled it. And so um, going back to what we had said at the very beginning of this discussion where the pandemic kind of exposed weaknesses or in the system is I think the scariest thing that Black Lives Matter has shown, but also specifically the pandemic, is that our democracy as a system is not working well. Like yeah. these discussions of... Well, what's a reasonable time to have a to to have a lockdown? What's a reasonable what's a reasonable indicator to do this? That's a discussion that our elected officials should be having. They're working 100%. full time. And that discussion shouldn't be like it can be heated, sure, and there can be different perspectives, sure, but that's a simple discussion to have. Like it's it's not that ridiculous to be sitting down and and talking about it for a few weeks and then maybe a year later sitting down and saying okay the the you know federal parliament of canada is going to sit down and have like a big discussion on like well what are the indicators we should look at let's bring in some experts what do we think this is you know the fact that they can't do that is a huge indicator of of how ossified and like broken our democracy has become 100%. 100%. Because these these questions are not complicated. Like, yes, the the answer will be dissatisfying to a lot of people. The compromise that a government would come up with, even working perfectly, would make a lot of people upset on both sides. Yeah. It's too long. It's too short. But the fact that we can't have that discussion civilly, we can't clearly focus on this is the discussion we should be having, that's a huge indicator to me that... If we can't have it in the case of a pandemic, when it's so clear what the question should be, what the discussion should be, then how do we, it's, then obviously we're missing these important discussions in areas that are not so obvious, right? Like 
in in areas around privacy in areas around like all these other uh, monopolies in areas around like all these other things that are happening with our society um that we're not uh, policing right like systemic racism like access to clean water for indigenous peoples like all these kind of other things that they're not pandemics for them for everyone un universally they're only they're only crises for specific groups in specific areas that can't unify well yeah um and they don't affect everyone in the same risk way that a pandemic does um so it's easier to to not see how much of a failure our government is at being able to talk about it and i think that's where the people on the right and the left you know you see the ppc is it this new party um this new like super right wing oh right party yeah. Um, and people on the left are kind of both are, are, are seeing like the government's not working. The government doesn't, it doesn't mean that everyone's going to be happy in a democracy, but what we want in a democracy is that the elected officials that we kind of trust to be representing us and we're, we're, we're defining us by a geographic collective region, which is like a voting region Yeah, that you guys can, can speak to me in a rational way in a room with other people in a rational way, using data to come up with a solution and, and a policy. The fact that you can't have those discussions is maddening for everyone on the left and the right. And we're, we're reaching the end because we all see it. Yeah. I think people on the left have seen it and argued this for a lot longer in many ways, because people on the left have for the most part been more, culturally and ethnically diverse have usually not um not been as wealthy so they've kind of seen and been at the front lines of yeah it doesn't represent us yeah the government isn't able to talk to us about or isn't able to talk about these issues for us um now that it's coming to the the weakness of how our representational government is <laughs> failing to deal with something like a pandemic people who have normally been unaffected we call privileged right are now seeing how it can't respond to their needs just like it can't respond to black people's needs or indigenous people's needs or women's needs it's now not responding to white people's needs and white men's needs and now they're losing their mind and i think so they're kind of like you know well in as opposed to them being crazy i think the, the way that the left moves forward from this is to say like hey welcome to the table like welcome to the room of all of us saying the government isn't working like we all agree it's not fucking working yeah and we need our government to start actually stop talking politics and start saying yeah this is a real problem we need to sit down and address this problem and it's going to be a really uncomfortable discussion a lot of people won't get reelected because of the things they say and we're all going to be upset with the compromise because that's the definition of a compromise but if we can't have the discussion and the most absurd thing is that when it comes down to the, the pandemic, the discussion is an obvious one. When do we decide to stop this? What is the number that we can agree on that we say now we can change to X and now we can go yeah, to Y? 100%. That, that discussion should be a really basic discussion and the answer should be really public and open. Yeah, it should be literal policy yeah it's a, the parliament sat down and we all agreed that once hospitalizations drop under 100 icu beds like total then da, 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 like whatever it's and a, you know it would probably call the public because i think part of the public is they're being told messages every other day well we want to feel mm -hmm. like it's the government's actually working for us and doing what it's supposed to do well, like the whole one 
the the argument that our government is is it for the people you know like representation of the people we see it's not doing that when it when they're refusing to have these basic conversations yeah and and difficult discussions and the point of a transparent government what people literally fought and died for is like to have these difficult discussions in public and the fact that there's so much now just branding and messaging and because people you know i mean you can go through history and say why it's become that but it's clear that it's not working yeah. and i think everyone on both sides of the political spectrum or all sides we see it and we agree and and instead of being like well yeah but you're you don't like black people and you don't like white people and you don't like this and you don't like that let's be fair even if our government's working perfectly we're going to have racists we're going to have bigots we're going to have misogynists like that's we're not getting rid of that and i think to to be perfectly blunt i think that's one of the problems that the left can be guilty of 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 assuming that we can somehow solve bigotry and racism i think what the government should be doing is dealing with policies that address bigotry and racism but we have to get over this this pie in the sky mentality that we can somehow cure racism like racism is a symptom of systemic problems like the people growing up in a way that they somehow think that someone is less than them yeah but the only way to get rid of that is to fix those systemic issues where people are growing up in that way you can't just like change people's minds mm. And we have to be also we have to be able to talk to people who disagree with us about racial issue and racial equality to deal with public health. And if we can't, you know, I disagree on this, you disagree on that. Fine. But let's come together on a table to talk about a third issue, put our disagreements aside because that's not the topic right now and talk about what we come how we can find a compromise in this thing that we all agree is an issue like the pandemic. Yeah, no, 100%. Because I'm not going to agree with... I'm not going to say I agree with a white supremacist about their opinions about white supremacy. But I think we can come to the table and talk about health policy. And mm. the only way to do that is to, like... They need to stop spouting racial bigotry at the table. And I have to stop pointing at them and calling them a Nazi at the table. Like, both sides have to put that shit down. I think... So... I think there is... The general principle is true. Mm -hmm. Push back. Yeah, please. I don't think you have to complacently start inviting people to a table who should never be at a table. Even if it's about health policy and their issues aren't related, mm -hmm. I don't think you have like David Duke sit at any table. I know it's an extreme... Well, he's a Canadian example because he's American. Or like... Like you, PPC, we have, they have, they have they, elected MPs. Are they yeah. not allowed at the table? Well, they're elected. They're elected. Like, they're allowed. I don't think you would invite, like, at a consul, a Jordan Peterson to come and talk. I mean, like, you can't... Well, let's, let's stick to government. Like, the P, the PPC members who were elected to the federal government... But the government, caucus gets to decide who's in what committee. But and that, that's an internal... So is is the entire parliament not allowed to talk about this like when for example the idea of like a discussion over when we should be setting these indicators you're saying that there's certain parties where no member of that party no, is no. allowed to be a part of that the caucus. party should that should represent who's ever elected so if you're to have let's say the parliament says we're going to create a, a a group a caucus you're saying a, a group of of a committee MPs, a committee yeah and they're going to have this discussion around because we can't have everyone talking about it 
I think whatever what it, my own thoughts around that I'll put aside. We have a small committee of X number of MPs, uh, and they're federally elected, and they're going to be talking about the indicators that we use for our government that we set for all provinces as to like when they're allowed to release these lockdowns or whatever, right? They're, that's the discussion. That's what yeah. they're talking about. Are you saying that like one party's not allowed? To no, have no. The committee right? should be representative of. So you'll have a PPC member at least. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Which means you have to be willing to have them sit in that room. Oh, a hundred percent from electorate. Sorry, part. From but that's a, what I mean. Like, oh, okay. but that's what I'm saying. Like, like I'm saying that we have to be able to sit in a room with them as policymakers in a committee room, and not just slander them as racist, and, even if they are. But and I think... their op- and their obligation on the counter side is they have to not point fingers and call racial slurs. Are you talking about when actually having that discussion or to call out their actions fully in public and who they are? Like I what does that second thing mean? Like are you yeah, when you're sitting there and talking about health policy, don't call them racist, but yeah. I think you have an obligation to point out any elected representatives. Like, if they were a KK member, you have every... What's the KK? No, no, like, if there was a PPC member who, like, was a, had a swastika at their home, like, uh-huh. fully call that out and, like, point that out and, like, maybe push for his removal, I think that would be fair. Um, Once, yeah, at a committee, you shouldn't be talking about his removal at a health committee. But I yeah. think there's fair room that that is public knowledge and that any advocacy to get him removed from that seat is like perfectly legitimate because there shouldn't be room for that Um, Um, well let's can i can i is this a fair metaphor um to talk about me too because you're instead of talking about like because because yeah that's extreme of course well, not me too. Sorry, the like yeah, yeah, you're, the I'm swastika. Just, well, and extreme. also that's like so arb. It's so hypothetical. Yeah. So like to take it to more like a concrete example, yeah. like a, a real example of like the American government with me too, right? Because you had, you had some representatives, like step Al- down or forced Al Franken. Al Franken being a good example because of like me too stuff, and. And like, so is this now with Me Too? It's a, and I think Me Too is a, is a, if not a perfect example, semi fair because the behavior someone like Al Franklin, Al Franken, uh, stepped down for was like arguably criminal, um, allegedly, right? But also in Canada, hate speech is also criminal, right? So, um, the two things are these kind of things that are like, technically you're not allowed to but it's in certain instances is it is it just like something that's not acceptable but legal it's like fuzzy it's a fuzzy thing that is like socially unacceptable but could be criminal could be not depending on where the line is drawn right like yeah. what's his face for the queue is like you know fired by cbc because of what he allegedly did but then the, yeah and then found innocent found innocent yeah. but like te- but no one was denying that he did it yeah right and like this so it's like you know that's why i'm saying it's like having a swastika is like well is that illegal but they're you know it that's why i'm just saying it's like they're they're similar in that they're messy and we can also agree that like yeah it's fucked you shouldn't do you're i don't like this person but does that mean they're just because we don't like a person and because he's a he's a horrible person even that he's not allowed to be elected by people in the government. 
I think it, it's fair. What like it's very subjective. Where like what behavior is a cutoff, right? Like, because mm-hmm. we're not if, talking about someone who's like literally like a no, serial killer. Like it's a messy. It's it's a very messy line. Like there's legitimacy to say that they shouldn't be. I, I and those people have their. And, uh, I don't want to say that they're not. And I want to be clear. That. There should be, you know some substantial evidence um shouldn't just be like well you did this and it's like and like that i that should isn't where, I, right, where just, I'm just talking. someone slandering you or just someone make yeah whether or not it's whether or not um, if it's unprovable or, or whatever yeah, yeah yeah i mean because it can get extreme. then it just does i guarantee you people yeah. get rid of politicians that way I, but like someone for example he's a ppc member and like he has a swastika in his house and, uh, and uh, that to me makes me feel sick right i personally would personally feel sick if if someone with a swastika tattoo let's say was an mp i wouldn't like that but is he not allowed to represent and i think that's a, a debate that is like if he was open he's just like yeah i have a swastika like i believe in this and you're like and he but he's it. also he doesn't he doesn't push it as a member of parliament he's just like that's informing it's informing my debates but i'm not going to be like calling people like racial slurs on the in parliament i'm not going to do it publicly i'm going to like stand by our laws in terms of what you're allowed to do but my personal belief is i hate this group of people because i'm a horrible person like I mean, right. like, and we're allowed to see, yeah, you're a horrible person, but then again, like, we have to work with you because you've been elected. Like, where's the line, right? Right. It's an interesting question. I mean, to me, that's swastika, but I'm, like, my view is tainted because I'm a Jewish. Now, if you take it to... Allow- and you're allowed to feel disgusted, and I think people sh- personally, no, I think I'm not just disgusted, feel disgusted. Like, I feel like that, like, is, 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 is the, the line. Squal- well, you think that is the disqualification. But, well, like, I have, like, Holocaust arrest, so I'm not the best person to ask, but... And I can recognize that. But, like, yeah, with the Me Too, it's like if you, like, like touch someone's shoulder and they felt uncomfortable, like, is that line too far? And, like, I don't, I, I don't have... If you were part of the Proud Boys. I don't have a clear, like, a clear roar line. I, I just wouldn't go to f- as far, and I'd have to think through what the line is to say... Mm-hmm. That every member should always be welcome in Parliament because they got elected. Well, and, yeah, and, and I think, and I yeah. think yeah. to answer my own question, I think the party has a big part of that, right? Like, uh, if the party says we don't want you anymore, the party's making that difficult decision for. Like, if it's not clearly legal, the party's kind of saying we as a group don't want to associate ourselves with you because, like, what if, right? like, in Canada, yeah. So the party would say, like, no, we're good. We don't want to associate ourselves with you, even though you were, like, it has nothing to do with whether you're legally allowed to be. We don't want someone who eats Or what if the, like, MP didn't disclose that during his election and it comes out, right? Like, I think that's, I don't, I don't want to add that to this discussion no, because I'm talking about people who are, like, openly, this yeah. is who I am, right? Yeah, and I don't know what that line is, but I think, like... That's where the party has a bit of subjectivity, right? The party's allowed to say, like, we don't want someone who speaks french in our party which is weird and arbitrary but like you also we don't want someone who is a who has 50 alleged um accusations of this even if it's not proven we don't want someone who allegedly is a massive nazi but we don't someone who allegedly is a rapist we don't someone who's alleged that's the party's choice there is a fair discussion of like who can and can't be at the table and i the left has been left out at the table um and then how far do we want to go with that on the right is like a fair game. Like where's our cutoff to be like, you're out of the table because of your political views. Yeah. Cause it, and cause it, it can get extreme, a, right? Yeah. Like 
the point is we're wanting to I'm be civil, sure. right? And I agree that like there are certain lines where it's where where what you believe is by definition in uncivil. Like like what you want to do is you want to dehumanize a, a whole type of people, and that's what you fight for and and work for, and therefore you're not accepted. Like literally, Nazis are not allowed in Canadian government, like as a party. Like I, I hope so. if the left said, like literally. My policy platform is to murder, like, this one group of people, and, like, I would pass a policy to ban AR-15-style rifles to target them, like, even if they got a lot. I'm just taking an extreme to the left. Yeah, well, I want to take a little less extreme, because to do with identity politics, and I think, like... If I'm trying to be sympathetic, and it's it's a weird thing to talk about, because, like, this is what it takes to, like... You can feel gross thinking about things, but I think we have to be able to like think outside these clean lines. Um, I'm a huge fan of uh, diversity and acceptance with cultural diversity and gender diversity and all this stuff. I think it's like a, a core part of what it is to be Canadian. I think it's something we should be striving for. I'm personally someone who supports that stuff. I also think that I can f- empathize with the perspective of white Anglo um, quote-unquote Christians, Canadians, who may not be like kind of Protestants, who feel ethnically and culturally like they're kind of disconnected from any other group, right? Like who feel like they're not really Catholics and they're not part of like a, an international Catholic community or they're not part of like an international Christian community even really. Or they're not part of like an international like they're not they're not Dutch or they're not like from Georgia or they're not from Russia like they're just kind of white Canadians right they're not part of a cultural identity like their their cultural identity is being white Saskatchewan farmer yeah right there's been enough time of people living in those regions that like that's that is their ethnic self identity yeah and those people. I can feel empathy for them wanting to like keep that cultural identity um, alive for what for feeling like that cultural identity is being attacked. Not to say that it might rationally be or like objectively yeah. be, but to feel like they are villainized. Let's just say let's say that they feel like their identity is vilified. Might be fairer to say. Like, they feel like a lot of people vilify the group that they identify with. Just a um, yeah, we're going, we're, we're, we're deep, so we might want to finish up soon. Oh, yeah, because you have to go soon right now. What do I have to go? Rehearsal, I thought. I've, I, no, oh. I finished rehearsal before this. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so all to say, like, like, because I think to say, like, you know, this group is, is, a, is, a, is a victim, and they're not victims. It's not about that. It's to say that this group feels... Like other groups vilify them. They might not be victims, but they suddenly feel like by being, by self identifying as a white farmer from Saskatchewan, I am now someone that lots of people say I'm evil. And that in and of itself, I think it's like, it's fair to say that, that that's not fair then they think, I don't think it's fair that you vilify me for being a white uh, Saskatchewan farmer. Because 
I did nothing to deserve that vilification. Maybe some of them did. Maybe a lot of them did. I don't know. It depends whose perspective we're talking, yeah. right? And so those people, like, is it is it really like a surprise? I don't think it's fair that they may, maybe like join white nationalist groups, but is it a surprise that they like fall into groups that accept them with open arms? You see what, and I actually think this is a maybe a link to everything. What's interesting is what I think has been effective is some groups have been able to link this to like their life circumstances mm-hmm. like you're poor you're working in a farm yeah. because of your right they they tie it to identity mm-hmm. very effectively yeah right like you're not at the table because you're a white farmer they only care about big urban people at the table right yeah. there's truth to it but like mm-hmm. i and I think this is where, like, I like it's a, it's a messaging thing. I wonder if the message was like, you actually are not in a good position, not because of your identity, mm-hmm. but because of your economic position. Because I don't think many people, rich white people, even in rural, maybe I'm wrong, but like rich white people in rural feel as polarized as, like, poor rural farmers. Yeah. Um, and that's where the messaging has been, like, you're fucked because you're poor, and that's because you're white. Has like, they've tied in class and race so well. And it's yeah. been an intro, and Trump specifically was able sure. to, like, do it, and nail it, like... Now, to be fair... And I, it's yeah. tied into the trucker movement, like... Yeah. And a lot of these fair, are poor like, white truckers, you know, who like yeah, th- jobs I, have been cut out because of mandates. Yeah. So now they're even poor. Yeah. And like that message of like you're fucked because you're you're poor because of X identity, yeah. because you're a trucker, because you're a farmer, because you're white. Because well, I think on the other side, like, and and I think that one of the reasons that 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 these people on the right like trump and all these ppc movement and stuff like this and the trucks like one of the ways they're able to be so effective is because i think there is i think a lot of i don't like the term identity politics because i think it's something that was crafted by the right to kind of vilify people on the left for talking about diversity and like acknowledging systemic issues but i think that like the way that a lot of debate on the left political spectrum goes because i'm not trying to say that it's like what they're doing or anything but a lot of like the way that it works is that like it's it's set up an us versus them which has kind of allowed people like poor white people to then uh, especially rural but not entirely to be like well yeah, I will turn to this. Other yeah, group I've heard that a lot because they've felt excluded. I've heard that a lot well, by well, the by the terminology. Like e- e- people who I associate with that I agree with a lot will say things as jokes. Um, that and it's like and and it's to be like oh like you know like well that's just because you're a white guy or that's just because you're a straight guy or that's just because you're a guy like and to be fair yeah boohoo me i'm like a i'm a privileged white guy but when when the rhetoric is this kind of well fuck them that they're just a white guy they don't get it or fuck you you're just white fuck you you're a straight guy like what you're doing is you're kind of drawing a line in the sand and being like well 
you're more you have more you have less to like there's more association you have with all those people which include white supremacists in the far back in the corners than with me because you know i don't like all of you white men and this is coming from a white guy who when i hear those jokes i get it like and i know that they're not talking about me or i know that it's like i deserve some of it as a as an identity but it's like if the rhetoric gets too extreme I think people on the left have to kind of take some some ownership over like when you do a lot of dismissiveness and a lot of uh, discussion without compassion, then you are giving ammunition to the people you disagree with to to build allies with, you know, within these groups and, yeah. to, and to pull in moderates who might not necessarily be against you well, not even because they moderate. don't feel like they're allowed to be a part of your group. Not even moderates. I'm... I've been hearing like, well, they just don't care about these types of workers, like rural workers, mm -hmm. like, and like, yeah. and when the discussion, like, when the default opinion is like, well, what about white, what about white farmers, and the and the default response is, well, oh, poor them, they're white, fuck them, they're privileged, yeah. and like, well, no wonder they feel vilified, and no wonder they feel ignored, even if it's not the truth, or just the rhetoric is not. And and also, this is not necessarily the rhetoric of people who are MPs on the left. This is not necessarily like the rhetoric of, quote unquote, the systemic left. But like what a lot of people will just throw out there for good reason, too, because maybe they have been in a group that does find themselves more disadvantaged than those rural white farmers. Right. Like, But it's the idea of like when you're not being inclusive, the only other option is being exclusive. And when you exclude you're now putting a group into a position where they feel like they're not allowed to be a part of it, where they're vilified, um, whether or not they have privilege, feeling vilified or feeling ousted or, or hated is, can be, can cause you to be vulnerable to um, extremism and vulnerable to joining uh, ideologies and political movements that you might otherwise not fully agree with or fully oppose or or you might otherwise fully oppose yeah um so all that to say i'll be there uh in <laughs> queen's park with you know waving my freedom flag no not at all um, <laughs> once again we've gone long but you know this is the beauty of the annex podcast we just delve into some important sheet yeah. um cbc get at me koi at act6.com will be on you know with cbc radio one we can make some of these discussions Sebastian, uh... national Sebastian's he's finding it very relaxing, so you may as well too. That's Sebastian is our producer and my cat, and he's uh, asleep. And he's been asleep this entire time. So you know, if he can listen to this discussion and not get incensed, so can you, dear yeah, listener. That's the lesson. That's the lesson. <laughs> Until next week. Thank you so much, and uh, you know, stay warm, stay toasty, stay safe.